Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Colonel Kira Marler. And to everybody listening, Merry Christmas. Not everyone. Uh, everyone. Everyone. Mostly even, everyone. Everyone. Even the people who live to troll online. Merry Christmas to you. I hope your Christmas is filled with lots of joy. Oh, I didn't mean that. I meant like Ohio State and Notre Dame fans. But yeah. Everyone else. We'll include everybody else. That's fine. Hey, Ohio State fans and Notre Dame fans, no matter who you are, hopefully you're able to enjoy this holiday and have just peace, happy, healthy holidays. I wish that for everybody. We have a really, really good show here. I, and we My talked about God. This. We, this, I, I've been so excited for this just because we did these interviews, a little peel behind the onion. We did these interviews last week, and we have Lynn Bowden coming up, the Kentucky All-American, and we have our good buddy, Dari Noka, who is an Oklahoma grad, so he talks about some Oklahoma things going into the LSU game. We structure this a little bit differently than we do our typical preview pops. This is a bowl extravaganza Christmas loaded episode to get you through this entire week. This you was like s- if I if I was planning the pod. And I, I want everyone to know that it, I'm not, and it would not have it would not have been nearly as structured or organized if I was. Luckily that's what we have Connor. But yeah, it's just like, you know what, let's do one of everything. It's like this is like a buffet of podcasts. It really is. And you know, I know you're looking at the timestamp right now and you're saying, Oh, this is long. You're going to be able to listen to this the yeah. entire week, and we're going to go through bowl games in chronological order, with the exception of the LSU game, which we will save. We're going to save the Peach Bowl for the very end. We're going to save our Darinoka interview for the very end. But if you're listening to this, you know I know, realize this is going to take a little bit of time. You're not going to. Be, it's like the Irishman. You're not going to go through it all in oh, one sitting, God. most likely, unless you got a long car ride with your in-laws. In which case, thank you for listening to us and not listening to Christmas music once again. Appreciate that. Yeah. But. It's going to be, it's going to be, we're going to go through each one of these games. We're going to break down some keys. We're going to do our typical over-unders. It's going to be great. I told you yesterday that I was going to commit to myself that I would not do an over-the-top, stay-up-too-late, deep-dive of stats, and I did. I, I failed. You, you didn't, you know what, though? I'll, I'll give you credit, because... I thought that you were going to come on and I was going to hear paper shuffling from the jump. Oh, you're going to hear that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. But you haven't gotten there yet, and that's yeah, good. That's, that's good. Yeah, I'm trying to grow. You, you're surviving right now, though, with your in-law Christmas, which is already started for you. So, like, and I actually like, like, they're my future in-laws, and I actually like them. They're they're great. They're super smart, and, and we, we have, like, uh, I mean, I, I'm excited to have them in town. I told you this too. Like I, I'm pumped, like for like the Griswold type Christmas because it's like I didn't have that kind of growing up. So having her parents and my parents coming in town, it's gonna be a lot of fun. But um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's also it's gonna be a thing. It's gonna be. I can't just you know do some of my my normal day to day stuff. Um, I mean, I gotta put pants on, which is tough, yep. you know. But uh, yeah, it, they're they're great. They they did come in last night. They're they're Pac-12 grads. Like I think they her mom went to like three schools. Uh, got a degree from like three different Pac-12 schools. Yowza. And so she came, they came in last night, late last night, and they sit down at the dinner table. And uh, I had like no cards of of topics we had to have in case the conversation went stale. Did you really? No, not really. But I was like, you know, I mean, like they're, they're like, she's like a doctor. They're, they're a lot smarter than I am. So I was kind of nervous about it. First thing she asked. So, uh, Chris, Joe Burrow, do you, is he better than Tua? And I was like, Margaret, we have. You know what happened now? She had a note card herself, and right. that was the first thing atop her note card, and she rattled that off to you. Yeah, so she was and just, just for all the audience members out there who um, 
may have felt like you've, you were alone uh, in, in how you were frustrated with how I talk on the podcast, she said flat out, I can't listen to the podcast because you talk too fast. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll so you're not alone, guys. All right, we will go nice and slow for everybody. We're going to get to all of the bowl games. But before we do that, got to tell you about our friends at Sweet Hop. Yes, the college season is coming to a close, but there's still time to catch your team in a bowl game. The lineups are set, and all you need is your ticket into the big game, whether you're hopping on a plane to go see Clemson take on Ohio State in the desert in the Fiesta Bowl, packing up for the beach to watch Florida play Virginia in the Orange Bowl, or hitting up this city, your city, to watch national championship contender LSU matchup against Oklahoma for the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Seeing a college game in a pro stadium is the ultimate fan experience. Pro stadiums are chock full of amenities, and they have the best vantage points. The suites at a pro stadium take that up to a whole new level. Suites were made for discerning football fans who want to not only see every play call, but also want comfort, fine food, and access to an elevated experience. Our friends at Sweet Hop will set you and your group up with the ultimate experience in a VIP suite for your bowl game. Suites comfortably seat groups of 12 to 40 people, and they include special access to VIP parking, extra wide seats, big screen TVs, premium catering, and lots of other exclusive perks, not to mention getting to skip those long lines on the concourse. Don't just see the game, sweet the game. If you are ready to live the sweet life, visit sweethop.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-H-O-P.com to book the experience of a lifetime before it's too late. And if your team didn't make it to a bowl game this year, that's okay. Did you know that Sweet Hop can hook you up with suites at other events and venues as well, from concerts and pro sports to supercross and family events? Sweet Hop is the largest luxury box and VIP suite marketplace in the world for private and shared suites. They have the best selection from stadiums and arenas nationwide. With Sweet Hop, there are no hidden fees, and you'll have access to our friendly, knowledgeable, personalized service team of Sweet Experts. Our partners at Sweet Hop are offering 500 American US dollars off a private Sweet purchase for college bowl games exclusively for Saturday Down South listeners. Just head to sweethop.com, that's S U I T E H O P.com, and use the code SDS for $500 off any private Sweet. Discount is valid on any purchase of $10,000 or more. Let's start. All right, that's the podcast. That's that's, that's a doozy. I, I got I actually got through that one a little bit better than the last. That's time. good. Credit to me, though. Credit to me. I've I've read that a couple times by now. Um, we're gonna do this in chronological order, like I said, with the exception of the LSU game. So we're gonna start with the Texas Bowl. A and M is a seven point favorite against Oklahoma State. A battle of former Big Twelve teams. We know that Chuba Hubbard is going to play in this game. Justin Matabuke is not going to play in this game. Uh, Matabike, I think. I, I always pronounce his name wrong. Always. Always. He's gone now. He's, he's gone. gone. He's gone. He's really, really good, and he's gone. It's too late. Yeah. Um, so a couple of numbers that I want to throw out here before we before we talk about, you know, kind of the A&M side. 60. No, okay. Go on. We'll be serious. Go. You can't just throw out a random number. Oh, you're just guessing what number <laughs> I was going to get. I, I see what you did there. Okay. So how many top 50 defenses has Chuba Hubbard faced this year? You know well, the answer because it's in the dock here. Well, and also, the, the, you brought up a lot of the similar notes that I took for this game. Boom. So, high five to us. Um, it's two. It's two. Which It's two. A&M is ranked number 36. Uh, Mike Elko, a guy who we've praised a lot on this on this here podcast. So, Oklahoma State is you know going into this game facing a little bit of a different test, I think, than they typically face in the Big 12. Yeah. Is that fair, just the way that the A&M... A&M's roster is constructed. 
this is still a game that I, I have a lot of questions about Anna. A lot of questions about Anna. Yeah. I don't know about yourself, but this this game is you know for, for an AM team that has just struggled against quality Power Five teams this year. I think it's I think it's fair to say that they have looked very much like how kind of how we expected them to look coming into this year, where they were going to struggle with those quality opponents against the likes of Clemson, AM, Georgia, and LSU. I guess they didn't struggle as much against Georgia, but it's a lot of it has to do with I think with the perception of how they looked against uh, like that, that first game. Against Clemson, they they seemed fine. Like that was not they didn't look I don't think bad in that game. That Auburn game where you expect it was a that was a close line. You expect it to be a lot closer than it was, and you're at home. The offense looked bad against Clemson. Really bad against Clemson. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, well, to be Clemson's got a great defense, but but what the way that this team looked against an LSU defense that we know had its issues late in the season and wasn't fully healthy, I think as much, and they they were getting there, but what. What they were able to do or not able to do against that LSU in against that LSU defense was, I think that was pretty concerning. That was concerning because A and M going into this game is is dealing with a much different set of circumstances than last year, where they're coming off the big seven overtime game against right. LSU, huge chance for momentum, kind of you know build it into the offseason. Yeah. A little bit different this year. Now I understand that they're a touchdown favorite in this game. They are also going to be down to one scholarship running back. Isaiah Spiller, yeah. the true freshman, is their one scholarship running back playing in this game. We found out Jay Sean Corbin is going into the transfer portal. Not ideal for this game. He wasn't going to be back for this game anyways. But still, this is a, a really important game for the Kellen Mond-Isaiah Spiller hype train. Now, let me explain this. Kellen Mond is somebody that we've talked about. There's going to be, if he if he has a big game in this one, given what we're expecting A&M to do next year, which is take that next step with a more favorable schedule, the Kellen Mond hype train will get going in a hurry. Yeah. The Isaiah, the Isaiah Spiller hype train is really going to get going for a couple of reasons. So I, sometimes I'll look at this and I'll think to myself in the offseason like, oh, why didn't I give this player more love during the season? And it takes me a while to figure out, Oh, they actually had better numbers than I realized. If you look at some things closer, you know, it kind of makes more sense that we should be talking about them in a different light and projecting them to have a better upcoming season. Isaiah Spiller is 131 yards and one rushing touchdown away from hitting 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. Now, if a true (laughs) freshman does that in the SEC, we tend to think, we look at them and we say, oh, man. In that offense. Yeah, sky's kind of the limit. We'll maybe, you know, our dumb brains, we will overlook the fact that he has struggled mightily in this running game, which I know they've had injuries on the offensive line as well. It's not all on Spiller. They've struggled mightily against quality opponents to run the ball. Yeah. So I think, first off, this is not a pat on the back, but I do want to bring up the fact, remember last year I said this, or in the offseason especially, A&M being like 8-4 and four to close out the season last year off that 7-overtime win, the the hype around the and like the the mood around the the program is totally different if they lose that game against LSU where they're seven and five and they don't get into in as good of a bowl and like that's just that's a lot different feeling going seven and five versus eight and four like like because you're close to ten wins anyway so I think we're kind of seeing that now this year they had obviously one of the toughest schedules in the country but any anyone that's talking about this game the first thing you hear is the same thing we've kind of you know said. For sometimes this year, like kind of being like a apologist, like, well, they've lost five games, but they're against they're the best five losses in the country. Mike Gundy the, had said that they're the best seven and five team in the history yeah. of the NCAA. Yeah. So this, I think this will be a good game. I totally understand like the the storyline of you know having only one scholarship running back, all that. I don't think that's gonna matter at all. I think that is such a non-issue going into this game because 
The, when you attack this defense, Oklahoma State's defense, it's going to be through the air. They're 112th in the country in passing defense. Um, A&M, I, I think stopping the run for Oklahoma State, which seems like a different storyline than we were used to with yeah. an Oklahoma State offense, because they're still ranked in the top 20, in, I believe, in total offense yards per game, but it's all on the ground. And Shuba Hubbard, him playing in this game is, is a big deal because he is – I mean, especially with the injuries they had late in the season, he is the offense. He's accounted for 38% of their total yards. I mean, yep. he, he ran for almost, almost 2,000 yards. It's crazy. It's pretty good. It's pretty he, good. Had, he only had one game with less than 100. So he's he's a like a really, really good back. I think everyone knows that. But this A&M defense, they've averaged less than three yards per carry. They've given up less than three yards per carry in their last four games. They've given up less than 100 yards in their last four games. They've really come on strong like towards the end of the season. Yeah, played played well against Georgia defensively. I think this is a, an A and M defense that, yes, while it struggled mightily against LSU, which you know pretty much everybody has all year, it has still shown good signs. And I I do think that this is a big game for Mike Elko. This is a money yeah. game for Mike Elko, a guy who has just gotten raise after raise and is now one of the top paid coordinators in the country. And you know, I wonder what his future is going to look like because I kind of wrote after last year with. He and Grantham both staying in the SEC, and and you know they had been rumored for for the Bengals opening, and and there was talk about whether they were gonna you know whether they were gonna leave and, and be you know kind of take that next step, where what that next step was going to look right. like for them. This is still a, these bowl games are important for guys like that with the NFL cycle coming yeah. around because the NFL coaching carousel is going to keep spinning and it's going to spin a lot in the next week or so. And if you're Mike Elko. You you would love nothing more than to to cap off your year with a you know a dominant performance against a guy like Chuba Hubbard who's leading the country in rushing and Mike Elko's calling card is I am going to stop the run I'm going to put extra guys in the box I'm going to make sure that teams are going to throw to beat us and A and M mm-hmm. has improved a lot in its pass defense but this is still a very important game for him personally and yeah, whether it cool. impacts how he stays at A and M I think a lot of things can happen that that would dictate that. Well, and for the whole the whole program too, especially going into year three under Jimbo, like you you need going into next season seven and six with a loss in the bowl game, where you you have thirteen games you've played this year and you won the ones you're supposed to win, but you don't have that like I don't want to say quality win, but like, no, they don't, don't have a quality have, win. They yeah, don't have you a don't, quality and, win. or a marquee win where it's like like where even South Carolina you look at this year, it's like man four and eight terrible season. They beat Georgia at Georgia. That's that's something you can hang your hat on, and they don't really have that. Every game they came into there was like hoping they could somehow, you know, like do anything besides just backdoor cover a big spread. They, they've kind of fallen on their face in, in every big moment they've had this season. And so they finally get, you know, a stage where you have a big non-conference matchup. It's a bowl game, obviously. I think this would do do wonders for, for Jimbo, like moving into next year. And it's, and it's not even, you know, and the weird thing about A&M season two is in those games, they've kind of just been trailing from the jump in all of these. And there's not really been a whole lot of hope that they were going to win any of these games. And so I don't it, know how much that matters, but I think it kind of does. I think outside of LSU and then that first drive against Auburn, because Schwartz hit him on that, that, I think it was like I mean, they were down within two minutes that. of that game. Right. It's like the Bama game, they went right down the field, scored on the first drive. Um, outside of that, yeah, you're right. They've been playing behind. But I don't think it's in the defense's fault. Like Elko... He's done a, a pretty good job. They're, they're holding teams to, I think, what is it? It's uh, they're holding teams to seventy, or sorry, ninety-eight yards um, less than their season average, which is good. Like that's, I mean, that's it's impressive. This game, uh, I, I think, will remind a lot of people. Oh yeah, it wasn't that long ago that A and M was in the Big Twelve. That oh, sets us up for the over/under for this game. How many references to A and M's days in the Big Twelve will we get? 
I set the over-under at 2.5. Uh, over by the first quarter. I mean, the, the real one should have been how many pictures of Dat win are we going to see? Hmm. I mean, that is... I, I hate this storyline. I don't know why. <laughs> but, like, luckily, this isn't like... I was worried. I thought it'd be kind of cool, but I was also worried that they were going to put Texas in this game. Why were so we worried? Oh, that would yeah, have been... Just because, like, like they would have built... I, I don't want to see that... The next time I see that game, I don't want to see it between two seven and five teams. Okay, that's fair. That's you know what fair. I mean? Yeah, you want to um, see it as a home-and-home, home, something like right, that. Right, right. So... I don't know. Both coaches are, are like Gundy's been fantastic against the spread this year. He's nine and three, uh, nine and three against spread. Jimbo is six and one in bowl games. I, I think this is a seven and a half point spread, right? Jim, Jimbo is six and one in bowl games. Goodness, Jimbo, oh, sorry, six and two, six and two in bowl games. I was games. gonna say I remember two off the top of my head, but yeah, that's that's still. I mean, that, that's I think A and M. You know, I, I, I'm not necessarily saying that A and M shouldn't be a seven point favorite. Having said that. I'm taking Oklahoma State to win this game. And my fear is that Oklahoma State, my fear for AM is that Oklahoma State is going to get off to that lead with Chuba Hubbard and that they are going to actually be able to run the ball, break off a couple of those big plays. And it's not necessarily going to be like, you know, eight, eight yards here, nine yards there. He's going to have those gash plays, that 70 yard touchdown, that that 50 yard, you know, yeah. set him up and get him into the red zone type plays where, you know, AM might do a good job shutting him down or like outside of those plays where it's like, yeah. you know, one yard here, two yards there. It's almost like a little bit of the Saquon Barkley thing. You know, where he just has that one play where he's what? like, oh, crap, well, that sucks. <laughs> Saquon Barkley has made his name for, for having yeah. those big plays, but he oftentimes struggles with, you know, with being the six, seven yard, breaking off chunks of yards type of guy. And I think that AM is going to be susceptible to those a couple of those big plays throughout this game and maybe fall behind. I have Oklahoma State winning this game 27 to 24. Um, So I hate everything you just said. Okay. I will, I'll throw that out there. Um, you really didn't I, like that Barkley take. I didn't. All. Well, just because, like, I I get it, but I think, um, like, so their top receivers out. Their quarterback was he missed the last game of the like of the season. Like, they, they're pretty banged up. I mean, they, like, he Chuba Hubbard is the offense, and he's been great all year. No one's been able to stop him. He's one game under 100 yards, and it's just not one of those things like a Ron Dane type thing where he hasn't shown up in big games. He, he's done that. However, their team as a whole, anytime they faced actual good competition. Like the, the two the two ranked teams they played all season lost by a combined eighteen or by an average of eighteen points. I, I just I I don't think this is a good matchup for them. And that pass defense that pass defense against any hold on here it, um in the four losses they've had this season they've allowed eleven touchdowns and one interception and eleven point two yards per attempt. And those are against teams with with worse quarterbacks than than Kelamon. In other words, you are taking A and M to win. This I'm game. taking A and M. I think Oklahoma State will cover, but I'll take A and M to win. Gotcha. Let's move on to the Music City Bowl where we have Mississippi State as a four-point favorite against Lawville. This, Who, this game, wait, what? Who are you? I, I, I just look at the doc. Okay, go on. Wait, what, what are you questioning my identity for? Your pick. I'm shocked right now. Yeah, do you, spoiler alert. Goodness gracious, man. The, the people <laughs> listening to this don't know this. Let's, let's get to some breakdown stuff first. This game being played on a Monday at 4 p.m. It is essentially like Toby's birthday. Um, the way that they treated this, the timing of this bowl game. But we know for Mississippi State, we're not going to have Cam Dantzler. Maybe no Tommy Stevens? We don't necessarily know that. Yeah, fingers crossed. If you're a Mississippi State fan, he doesn't play. 
What do you what do you want if you're a Mississippi State fan? If for Garrett Schrader to play, probably at this point, that's what I would think. Just let Kylan Hill play quarterback. Let him be Lynn Bowden. That's fine. That's fine. Kylan Hill is going to be playing in this game, his last game with the Bulldogs. He's 45 yards from setting Mississippi State's single season rushing record, which is held right now by Anthony Dixon. This is going to be a great battle of running backs, though, because Javion Hawkins actually has more rushing yards than Kylan yeah. Hill. And he's a true Very underrated too. season. Yeah, very, very underrated season for a Louisville team that has been much, much better than we thought. They were 2-10 and 10 last year. Yeah, 2-10 last year, and we were watching that opener against Notre Dame. We are like, wow, Notre Dame, how are they letting Louisville stay on the field with them? I mean, that's just yeah. a joke. How are you not covering the first half spread? I remember. But I'm having a tough... Louisville got absolutely trucked by Kentucky at the end of the year. And Scott Satterfield did not have his finest moment, despite the fact that he actually won ACC Coach of the Year right after that performance. And I made the joke that Mark Stoops actually should win ACC Coach of the Year. But that's a different discussion. Yeah, I like that. Mississippi State, though, do you have confidence in them being able to beat a decent team? I Because I don't at this, this is, point. This is such a bad... When I when I first saw this like in the bowl pick which we will talk about later. Good God. Oh. Um, when I first saw this, I was like, oh yeah, Louisville. Because I think they're underrated and people sleep on them. Same way I picked them over Kentucky. This is a, a pretty simple pick, in my opinion. And, and probably the biggest mismatch at, like for like, like offense-defense-wise out of any any bowl game in the SEC this year. Like, Louisville is so bad against the run, and I'm not just talking about against against Kentucky. What, the, what happened against Kentucky is you give up 517 yards rushing. 517 yards rushing. I can't and count up, that high. That is pretty bad. However, they've been bad all season against the run. They are ranked 115th in the country in rush defense. They're 123rd in, in yards per carry. They give mm. up five point, or five and a half yards per carry. So here's the, here's the deep dive I'll give you. That last game, even taking that out, okay? In games, like Mississippi State has averaged, uh, they have not rushed the ball less than 37 times in any game this season. They're averaging over 41 yards or 41 rushing attempts per game. 37, that's the key number, okay? They haven't rushed less than 37 times in any game this entire season. In games against Louisville, where their opponent has rushed for 37 attempts or more, they're giving up six yards of carry. 260 rushing yards per game, and in games where they have, <laughs> they've given up 38 points per game, and in games they've uh, uh, rushed 40 or more, they've given up 294 yards per game. Woof. They are awful against the run. Awful. And on top of that, if that wasn't bad enough, they're ranked 111th in fumbles lost. And why is that important? Because Mississippi State, for whatever reason, uh, recorded like a blank ton of fumbles this year, or recovered a blank ton of fumbles this year. They were third in the country. They recovered like 13. That's that a little bit of luck, though. I mean, turnover luck. That's, that's Yeah, like that. 10 of them were in the first four games. But regardless, <laughs> you asked the deep dive. No, I, I think, but like the, the rushing yards, like that is staggering. This game is going to be very run-heavy, I would expect. And it's going to have a much different feel than a couple years ago when these teams faced off in the tax layer bowl um that was just a short two years ago which kind of takes away from the there was talent in that game uh a certain guy named lamar jackson who turned out to be a pretty decent nfl quarterback was in this game um keaton thompson beat him people might forget that but whatever um that sets up the over under how many references to the 2017 tax layer bowl will we get despite the fact that this is a vastly vastly different set of rosters circumstances two different head coaches I'm going to set the over-under at 3.5. Oh, way over. I mean, they'll talk about Lamar Jackson more than that because he's just such a fascinating story this year. 
Plus, this game's going to be pretty not fun to watch. I mean, it'll be it'll be fun, but in the way that like action is fun. You know what I mean? Like, there's going to be a lot of big plays. There's going to be. I think it'll be a close game. Yeah, I think, but like, not like it won't be a well played game. Yes, I I don't I I would expect a lot of missed tackles on on both ends of this, and I would be surprised if if both of these teams decided to just you know what we're going to air it out all of a sudden. The the ground and pound game plan will will be very very evident for both teams. I have Louisville winning this game, and I, I sound like Mr. Anti-SEC because these first two games, SEC teams are favored, and I am picking both of them to lose outright. But I have Louisville winning this game 35-31, to 31, and let me tell you why. I don't trust Mississippi State when it's, when it's trailing at all. I just don't. Yeah. I only trust them if they can get off to a significant lead and let Kyle and Hill go to work. I think their, their path to a victory against even a halfway decent team is so set in stone and I don't trust Garrett Schrader to make those decisions if they're down if they're down you know 14 points even a game like Tennessee which I thought that was super super winnable he threw an yeah it definitely was every single time <laughs> that they needed a big play and those moments I realized Tennessee played much 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 better defensively down the stretch and that was kind of at the beginning of it but Mississippi State, when it falls behind, it just does not look like it has what it takes. doesn't look like it has the backbone to be able to fight back. I think they're going to fall behind. I think they're going to struggle to stop the run early. And I ultimately think they're not going to have enough to come back in this game. Again, Louisville has given up over 200 yards rushing in six of their 12 games. They are... they Look, I, I'm, I'm not trying to... This isn't a slight of Kentucky. I love Lynn Bowden. I've... I've I don't understand how that offense has been so successful. It's been incredible to watch because they, they are just running the football. It's all they're doing is running the football, and they're doing it so incredibly well. When you give up 12.93 yards per carry to a team that is running the ball 83% of the plays, you're going to struggle against Kylan Hill. Mississippi State doesn't do hardly anything right as a team besides run the football. Like, at all. They've been so underwhelming. Like, Moorhead against the spread has been awful. Satterfield is like 28-28-1. I always mess that up. There um, against the spread since 2017. I don't think it matters. I think Mississippi State wins by 10. Wow. Okay. 34-24. Goal reversal. I like it. Let's go to the Orange Bowl, a game that Florida fans are happy to be at. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think terribly excited about the matchup itself. Florida is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite against Virginia. This game taking place Monday night on December 30th, 8 p.m. Why is that, Eastern. Why is that so early? The game, oh, like early, because they want to, I think they want to be able to have it before, because if they do it, they don't want to compete with the, um, the New Year's Day slot because that's the Sugar Bowl. Um, I don't know who gets pick of that, like how it that should, all works. It should definitely be after January 1st. If it's yeah. not a playoff game, I don't get that. Could have put it on January second, maybe. Yes, it, like would they have in the past sense. for so many years. Yeah, that would uh, that would have made a lot of sense. Come to think of it, well, you should be that. playing the timing of these bowl games. That that would that, that would probably make Can a little he... bit more sense than what they originally had here. Yeah. Question for you: Can you come up with the list of FBS head coaches who have won two New Year's Six slash BCS bowls? in their first two years as a head coach during the BCS slash playoff era? Um, not Kirby. Right, yeah, not Kirby. No. In their first two seasons. No clue. There is no list. Dan Mullen oh. can be the first to do it, which nice. is an amazing stat if you think about it. 
And for it Florida is, Connor. Fans, for Florida fans who are frustrated that they weren't able to get the division title this year, play for an SEC championship, come back to that. And then you know, think think about the long term implications that something that a, that a number a stat like that could could have for your program. I, and what that could mean. And also, listen, if you're a Florida fan, you're frustrated with where the program is at going into this game. We need to talk. And, and like, I mean, I was so down on Mullen and Florida in the offseason, and I could not have been more more wrong. He has been incredible this season. Twenty and five in his first two years. Twenty and five. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just because it's Georgia and Florida Twitter going back and forth, but like. There's been a lot of that, like that. That is like the attitude a lot of people have had about how, like, well, you know, they haven't competed like in a, in a championship game. They haven't had to do this. It's like he's 20 and five in two seasons. He's going to do a New Year's Six Bowl. Keep in mind, we're we're three seasons or two seasons removed from Florida going four and seven, and because they didn't have they didn't play like their their final game because of like weather or whatever. And I don't think they wanted to because they probably wouldn't have won four and seven under McElwain. Like think about where the program was and how quickly it's turned around. I, I, I this is awesome. They're in a New Year's Six Bowl for the second straight year. It's not something that every program is able to do. I mean, you look around at the programs who were struggling in 2017 and look at kind of where they're at now. And it's, I mean, what Florida has been able to do is impressive. To just be sitting here where we're talking about them as a, a an overwhelming favorite in this game against a, a ranked team. I mean, that's something that even, even during the McElwain era, how many times did you look around and say, yeah, Florida deserves to be a, a significant favorite against a ranked team? And that yeah. just didn't happen that much because they played, they played for a conference championship. Yeah, and Agreed. they played for a conference championship in those years. So perspective, I think, is important. Perspective is important as well for Kyle Trask. I oh, wrote yeah. a, I wrote a column, shameless plug, on how I thought Kyle Trask has the makeup to be the SEC's breakout superstar in 2020. Joe Burrow was clearly that in 2019, took his game up to the next level. Kyle Trask, there is a very, very, very small possibility that he will come anywhere close to the year that Joe Burrow had. Not saying he's going to do that. What I am saying is that a lot of the things that are working in Kyle Trask's favor, there are some similarities to what Joe Burrow dealt with last year, where Kyle Trask came into this season, you know, taking over for Felipe Franks, having not worked with the ones in the same way that that Joe Burrow had came come into that situation in the summer, very, very limited reps. He talks about that still, about how difficult that was to get on the same page in the fall with the receivers and all that, the limited time Trask? frame that he had. No, no, no. Uh, Joe Burrow talks oh, about yeah. that and how that was that that kind of held him back a little bit in 2018. Kyle Trask going into next year is going to have four of those five offensive linemen back, which is key. We talked about that this year about how that was something that was going to hurt mm-hmm. Florida. You brought that up repeatedly about yeah. how that was something that you worried about with this team, and we saw that this team struggled Rushing with pass protection, pass protection at time. We saw the LSU offensive line in 2018 struggled. Dealt with new rotations all the time. Joe Burrow couldn't stay protected. Their tackle positions were a disaster. With an offensive lineman, with an offensive line that had a lot of experience, Joe Burrow thrived this year, and they just won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in college football. I'm thinking that with another year with Dan Mullen, with an entire offseason with these receivers, Kyle Trask, the hype train can get rolling in a big way. And I'm saying what what he is capable of doing next year, I, I don't think we've seen his ceiling just yet. And I think that a lot of people are still going back to his recruiting ranking and they're still talking about, oh, he didn't start in seven years and it must be because he's not very good. And I, I, I urge you to, to look a little bit deeper. We're talking about somebody who can finish. If he has a quality game here, which I expect him to, he's going to finish in the top 10 in the country in quarterback rating, 
which is not, not something that I think a lot of people realize. Same exact TD to INT ratio that Felipe had yeah. last year, except better, much more efficient in those other areas and did it in much fewer games and several fewer games as well. I just think that the Kyle Trask hype train, if he has a big game against Virginia, there are going to be a lot of people who are like, whoa, we need to get this rolling in a hurry, and he's going to be an, a preseason all-SEC quarterback, I believe. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Go ahead. If I hear you say Kyle Trask hype train again, I'm going to lose it. Um, Let's go. One, I think you're right about most things you're saying. I don't know why we're bringing that up right now, because we this game is... Uh, we should probably... Let's pump the brakes on hot takes for 2020 season and just talk about this game. But that's what I'm saying, though, is that yeah. is that we, we talk about like how bowl games can really fuel an entire offseason in the way that we talk about a player. And right. I think that if he has another big game in a stage like this where they're celebrating a New Year's Six Bowl, I think that gets going. And I think people kind of yeah. pick up on that more so than, just, than they were before. I would say I don't think it like matters a whole bunch um, just with this game as it's as it relates to this, and I think he will have a huge game. He like he, I think what it says more than anything. I don't give it a blank about next season. It's just that when we look back, like in the same way we looked at the Trevion Williams numbers last year, and like you mentioned earlier with with the running back from A and M, this is a kid, and this program has gone largely under the radar for the entire season about how good they've been, and and he like Dan Mullen, his bread and butter in that offense is running the football. That entire offense is built around running the football. And they've had to completely go away from that because of how bad that offensive line has been like, like in, in like yep. helping out the run game. They've been all, they're ranked like 110th or something like that in the country and rushing offense. It's awful. Kyle Trask has had one of the better seasons and more underrated seasons than like any other quarterback in the, in the SEC. And I think you're right about that. I don't know if it builds hype, the hype trend or whatever going into next season. Um, however, this game, like he hasn't had a single game where he's had under 61% completion percentage, right? He's he's All of his numbers improve in games against ranked teams, FBS, Power yep. 5, t- FBS teams against winning records. But all that's great. All that, I think he's a, a very underrated quarterback. And, and the worst part, if you're a Virginia fan, is, I mean, it's nice to go to Miami. But this is like going down to Miami and getting a sunburn day one and then having to come home. Like, it's just to Charlottesville. I mean... This pass defense has been not great um, at all. Bad, really bad. <laughs> yeah, they're ranked like a hundred or worse in um, in twenty yard plus plays or twenty yard plus plays allowed. Uh, they are ninety sixth in yards per attempt allowed. I think they're seventieth overall in pass defense. They they're not a great defensive team. That being said, you know how many sacks they've given up. You know what their rank is in sacks allowed? Mm, not good. This, this defense is going to eat them alive. It's 119th. They've given up 38 sacks. Oh. Florida will be in that backfield all day long. I, I think I think that they they are a lot of people are like not respecting Virginia going into this game, and I totally understand why because like the record and they're not a, like a they're not a a huge football brand. Totally get it. They're a better team than people will give them credit for. Bryce Bryce uh, Perkins is a lot better of a quarterback than people give him credit for. 35 yep. touchdowns, almost 4,000 total yards. They're the year. only team that's good. They're the only team in uh, this entire season that had over 300 yards of offense against Clemson, which is that really says something. I know they got blown out. They got they got destroyed in that game, but still, um, I don't think this game's close. I, I, against teams with like good passing offenses, and Florida is a very good passing offense. They're ranked in the top 20 in the country in passing offense. They've given up. <laughs> they've given up. 350 yards per game through the air. Woof. They've given up 10 touchdowns. In, and this is, again, this is four teams that are ranked in the top 25 in just passing offense. They've given up uh, 10 touchdowns and two interceptions. And even worse, in four of their last five games on the season overall, they've allowed over 10 yards per attempt. Kyle Trask and these receivers are going to destroy them. 
14.3 yards per completion Virginia allows. Only three FBS teams are worse than that, and one of them is UMass. So that shouldn't that. Even count. Yeah, good God. Yeah, really, really bad. You you mentioned the the pass protection issues that Virginia has had this year. My over under John Grenard TFLs in this game. I might have gone too low on this. I said the over under on his TFLs at two. Yeah, over. I you know that fourteen and a half. Like this is still a a New Year's Six game. This is a team that won. They won nine games. Talking about Virginia. Virginia's yeah. won nine games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're not a bad football team. Not at all. They're, they're not like, and they're not getting a lot of credit going into this game. I just think when you look at when you look at Florida and you look at like their, especially when you look at like their resume as a whole, especially since Dan Mullen's been there, that twenty and five record, four of those five losses are, are top fifteen teams. I think three are in the top five. I mean, he's they have been very very sound in almost every every phase of the game except for rushing the football. They have really struggled with that. I think this is going to be. I, I think that Florida is going to have to do it through the air, and I think they're going to have some some big passing plays in this one. But I don't necessarily see them lighting up the scoreboard. You know, 45, 50 points. I think Florida wins and covers. I've got Florida winning twenty eight to ten. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this Virginia offense will put up probably a bet, a little bit better fight, especially early on in that game. Um, I'll, I think like thir- I think they cover. I think it's like a thirty-one to fourteen, maybe like a thirty-five to seventeen type game. I mean, Florida's going to pull away late because that defense will be too suffocating for them. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that you can if you're a Florida fan and you need okay, you need me to 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 recite that Dan Mullen stat again. No coach in the BCS or playoff era has won two New Year's Six slash BCS bowls to start off their time at a Power Five school, actually, or at a Group of Five. Either or. How is this not being mentioned? Like by like I don't because I just looked it said, up for the first time. That's why. Well, no, but like somebody said the other day, they were like, "Yeah, that's all well and good, but so, at some point you got to start playing for championships." It's like it's year two, it's year dude. Two. It's year two. Like, you don't start yelling at a toddler like you got to learn how to read on a fourth grade level. Like I can barely do that. I'm 33. Great point. Great point. The Belk Bowl, the single best bowl Twitter account in existence. Oh, it's gonna be great. Best store. <laughs> Kentucky and Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is a three-point favorite in this one. I love the timing of this game, too, because yeah. it kind of sets the stage for, for New Year's Eve, like the full day. When you have that 12, that noon Eastern time kick on, on New Year's Eve, it's like, oh, it's a holiday. Bless this day. We get to watch yeah. football and it's all always day. some kind of like blank show that happens in this game, too. Right? Yes. It's like, oh, it's like a boring first quarter. And also, it's like, oh, my God. Like you look up and it's like forty-two to, to like forty-one in the third quarter. We need we need pure madness in this one. Um, Kentucky quietly, and we've talked a lot about Lynn Bowden, and we've got our interview with him coming up after this breakdown. But I want to give a couple notes on this Kentucky defense because what Mark yeah. Stoops has done with this defense has gone overlooked by by myself included. Post September, nobody has scored more than twenty-four points against Kentucky. That's amazing. That is. They've allowed eleven point six points per game in the last five. Number twelve scoring defense in the country for a reason. They've held five straight teams under twenty points. Josh Pascal, DeAndre Square have just been so so good for this defense. And I know we talked about Cash Daniel a lot coming into this year. The thing that Mark Stoops kept saying in the offseason is, "Look, you weren't talking about. Yes, you knew who Josh Allen was, but there are a lot of names." A lot of guys that you weren't necessarily talking about as potential superstars that blossomed and they flourished. That's going to happen again this year, and it's happening. Oh god, and are you talking about hype trends? 
No, I'm saying I'm saying that he is he's been proven right in that regard, and that he has yeah. been able to to build his identity, and he has kind of got Mark Stoops. Like I was saying this offseason, we kind of just need to trust him to have yeah. like, a, enough guys to figure it out defensively. Where it doesn't matter how many preseason All SEC guys we're talking about on on his team, his ability to develop these guys has just been it's been remarkable the last two years and if you go back and look at some of the numbers you'll just become more and more impressed with Kentucky despite the fact that yes they got off to a really really rough start and had to had to turn to an atypical guy to lead them out of that rough start with Lynn Bowden but I think the the defense has gone just so so overlooked because it's so easy to get caught up with Lynn Bowden and what this offensive line has been able to do this year. You know, honestly, I think the whole team has gone overlooked. And, and this maybe that's something that's like our fault. This defense is legit in general. It's not just because, you know, lesser competition or they've done – like it's it's not anything where there's an excuse to be made or there's like a, yeah, but – or like, you know, actually, this is why they're only that good. They're, they're top 20 in total, total yards allowed and uh, total points allowed. They've been good for most of the season, but they've been really exceptional in the, in the second half of the season. These past seven games – like, Coach O deserves National Coach of the Year, hands down, right? I think Mullen is a another person that was very deserving of that award. What Mark Stoops has done this year, I, I think the stat going into the season was, in the last, maybe since he'd been there, he had the same, he'd either had an equal amount or improved upon the total wins each season that he had been there at Kentucky. Right, he hadn't taken a step back, and this will this be the, the first, first official step. Back. Right, it's the first time they'll have they'll have in his entire seven or eight years. It's the enti- it's the first time he's had less wins than the year before. That's really impressive to do in in the SEC for one, and then also at a place like Kentucky, seven wins this season with this team where they have they've had like all sorts of quarterback issues and injuries and all that kind of stuff. It's mind blowing. I mean, the the seven games like Lynn Bowden, you'll hear it on the interview we do with him. He he brought up he's like I'm five and two as a starter at quarterback, yep. five and two. I mean, like, n- not enough is being said about that, that offensive line, and that defense especially, man. Like, because he said it in the offseason when we talked to Stoops. He said, you know, I was like, how do you replace guys like Josh Allen? Like, you know, he's like, well, y'all didn't know him then. Y'all didn't know him before last season. Right, exactly. Nobody was talking about it. Like, so this, they have done nothing but continue to just, just plug and grind and, and just basically over, not to say overachieve, but just prove everyone wrong. And when you have 83% of your total plays, of your overall plays are, are running plays, 83%. Like, you know, not in a bad way. They're like the glorified service academy, as we said last yep. week. And it, but they've been, they, that offensive line, they've done it so well. They've run it down people's throats. I've always thought one of the coolest things to be able to do, not just in, in football, but in sports in general, is to be able to look at your opponent and say, I will literally tell you what we're going to do, and you're still not right. going to be able to stop it. I think that that's just got to be one of the most satisfying feelings to know that what you do well Somebody can't stop that thing. And I know that Kentucky had a rough game against Georgia, and people are going to say, well, who they beat this year that was, was, in the rain. That, was that good? People forget it rained that day. It's tough to throw when it's in the rain. Um, but I, I still give them just so much credit for what they've been able to, to put together this year. And given what their season could have could have spiraled into, this is a much different story that we're talking about heading into bowl season than what it could have been. Well, and then also, like, <sighs> When, when you look at these numbers, and, like, it's great to have the five wins. Like, there's so many things where they could have just hung their hat on that. Like, yeah, you know, the numbers weren't great. Because, like, their passing passing yards per game, obviously, is not – it's not a, it's a non-existent stat, right? Um, I think they've had only, like, one game in the past – in the seven that Bowden, or Bowden started uh, over 100 yards passing. Every other facet and every other number you look at statistically on offense has improved in those games. 
I mean, like, think about that. Pretty like, good. you you are one dimensional, and you're still improving in total yards per game, yards per carry. Bowden has 1135 of his uh, or 1136 of his 1235 total uh, rushing yards a season have been in the last seven games. He's averaged 7.2 yards per carry, and that that offensive line is just it's gone. Man, like they they've had just an absolutely incredible year, and they've gone kind of unnoticed. But but this team in general. Uh, like they could have this will be their if they win on on whatever this day is was it Saturday Monday this game is uh, Tuesday on New Year, on New Year's Eve yeah so way off but if they this will be their thirty <laughs> fourth win as a program as a senior class uh, if they I'm sorry thirty second win as a senior class if they win on Tuesday which is the most they've had in over sixty years as a as a class that'd be pretty pretty impressive to do that yeah. they would need to shut down Virginia quarterback Virginia Tech quarterback Hendon Hooker who has been much better than than what they had to yeah. start the year. We I remember talking to Gene Chizik about this in Charlotte about, man, what's going on with Justin Fuente in that program where they just got smacked by Duke and it was an right. ugly game that he called and he's like, yeah, there's some there, there's some some rumblings that this is not going to be a, a really good finish and they've been able to turn it around. Hooker has been a big part yeah. of that. That's what Kentucky it's very similar has to, to the stop. Kentucky story. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the over under, he he's a, a quarterback who likes to run the ball as well. Maybe not quite exclusively the way that Lynn Bowden does, but combined rushes for starting quarterbacks in this game. I set the over under at thirty six point five. Um, oh, I'd say under. If Bowden gets if Bode gets twenty to twenty five, which he probably will. Yeah. Well, I mean, I but Hooker he throws. I mean, he throws the ball pretty well, man. He's got like I think besides that Virginia game, he had gone in his first uh, five starts. It was ten touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, he's he's six and two since he's taken over and like t- totally turned the yep. entire team around. I'm gonna take Kentucky to win this game outright. I think it's gonna be low scoring, hard fought, lot of, lot of running in this game. I'm gonna take Kentucky to win twenty one to seventeen. Yeah, so I, I like that under, especially with Bud Foster being his last game. Bud Foster swans on. Um, it's it's like this is one of those those games too where it's like you you don't want to see I, I don't want to see Lynn Bowden go out with a loss. You also don't want to see you know Bud Foster end on a bad note. I, I think what this game comes down to is that Kentucky defense that you, you brought up. I mean Virginia Tech, their offense has been a lot better, especially at hook with Hooker at quarterback. They're like they're six and two uh, in their last eight games with him as the starter, and they're averaging over four hundred yards per game. But against defense is ranked in the top 25 and Kentucky is every bit of that like they, they are a very good defense they're averaging over 125 yards less per game and, and the points as well is not great so um I'm gonna take Kentucky to win I think a very close ugly game I'm, I'm nervous about picking them though because I haven't picked them I think I might maybe all season I feel like I've picked them every week to cover too something like that. I very close I've, I've picked them to lose I think but I'm gonna pick them to win uh I think like a very similar score there might be a prime number involved like a 24 to 19 we, we are not doubters of, of Kentucky. Uh, we talked to Lynn Bowden about some Kentucky doubters, what that's been like all year. Really, really fun interview. Glad we were able to, to get him on the horn. Know he had a lot going on. Award season, yeah. Christmas shopping season. He had He's just a, done with practice. Yeah, just finished <laughs> practice. Uh, a man who is capable of juggling many, many things that much, we, we know. So let's kick it to our interview with Lynn Bowden. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest, it is Kentucky quarterback slash receiver slash first team All American. It is Lynn Bowden. Lynn, I'm pretty sure you're the first All American, at least active All American, that we've had on this podcast. Have you gotten used to being called that yet? Uh, not really. You know, I'm still taking it in, just a little bit, step by step. Just, uh, I'm really excited to be an All American. You know, it's something I dreamed of. You know, just since a young boy. 
I think uh, we'll we'll just call you Kentucky Legend if that's all right. I mean, that's a good nickname too. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, your your year has just been something that we we rarely see in this sport, and we've talked about your switch on this podcast a lot. Going from all SEC receiver to game changing quarterback in the middle of the season is, I mean, it's ridiculous. Even for somebody who was a high school quarterback like yourself, when Sawyer Smith went down, and I know you've probably answered this question. Did you have to talk to Stoops about letting you play QB, or did he have to talk to you about it? Well, you know, um, and, and at the end of the South Carolina game, you know, as we went down to coach, I'm like, just, just give me a shot to go in. You know, I think we ended up scoring in like five, four or five plays in like 30 seconds. You know, and after that game, you know, I just told – I shot text, a text coach and told him, like, yeah, I, I can play quarterback if you need me to. You know, uh, just, just try something out. You know, we never look back from there. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Lynn, I'm sure you don't remember this because you have to do this a thousand times a week. We went to when we were in media days in Birmingham. I remember, like, like I we always joke around the podcast. Like, I'm not the professional one. I'm like, Connor's the professional <laughs> one. But I remember there was nobody at the table at at like when you were speaking, like at the, you know doing like the little side interviews. And I was just blown away. So I went up there and talked to you for a little bit. Um, and you just see, I, I remember telling Connor, I was like, this kid just like blew me away. Just like just an incredible kid that you know for whatever reason. Um, you know, you, you kind of went into the season being a this underrated guy, and I think now you finally got this awesome recognition, which is much deserved. So, congrats on that. I do want to say each and every it. week, it's of course, man. It seems like each and every week, uh, people doubted y'all. Like not you personally, but like Kentucky as a whole. And, and to be honest, from like you know, sometimes I did as well. But but what was the mindset going in each and every week? Because you know you're running the football. Everyone else knows you're running the football. How did y'all go into each and every week of practice getting ready for that? You know, we, you know, uh, throughout the good and the bad, you know, we know we had to stick to our bread and butter and, you know, what was going to work. The coaches did a phenomenal job uh, building a, a new offense around me. You know, it, it was just something we had to adapt to. And, you know, throughout them, them two losses that we did have when I, when I, when I played quarterback, because not to mention we went five and two when we had quarterback. Uh, That's right. You know, everybody knew what we was doing and it just, it was just something fun to be a part of, you know. The coaches did a good job, you know. I still think my uh, my O line got snubbed for the award. You know, they they should have won it. No way in the world they didn't. We rushed for 400, 400, 500 to close out the season, and everybody knew we was doing it. So it's just, you know, for the people that to keep doubting us and still doubting us, you know, we want to say thank y'all and just, you know, we're gonna keep going. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You're such a stoops guy. I love it. Um, so I saw your high school basketball highlights, and they, they went yeah. kind of viral. Um, they're just as impressive as your football highlights. You could play for Coach Cal tomorrow, couldn't you? Yeah, I could. You know, growing up, <laughs> nah, they, always awesome. I was better. <laughs> they always told me I was better in basketball than football. So, you know, something I could have did. <laughs> okay, but how many points How many points are you averaging in the SEC? Because I saw you were, you were averaging, what, like 24 and 6? Playing basketball yeah. in in high school, what would you average playing basketball in the SEC? Maybe like at least like fifteen ish. You know, I, I just I play with a lot a lot of heart out there, a lot a lot of energy. You know, through through the ups and downs. So it's never a dull moment with me on the basketball court. I'm just a competitor. We need this to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, as I said, we're we're big Stoops fans. Um, you know, we had him on the podcast earlier this year. I'm pretty sure that we almost talked him into getting a full sleeve of tattoos. Um, yeah. he, he told us that, <laughs> so he said, 
he'll often ask guys about having those sleeves or neck tattoos. And he said, you know, how are you guys going to get a job afterwards? Uh, you've got your fair share of, of ink. Um, tell us what tattoo you would want to see Stoops get. Uh, probably that's hard. I got a matter of fact, I got a Youngstown tat on my uh, wrist. You know, I, I like to see him get that across his chest. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I love how bold that was too. Like I, I thought you were gonna say the wrist thing too. That's good. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think when we talked, you had I want to say you had seventy three at the time, like before the season. Yeah, I got seventy five now. Okay, that was that's what I was gonna ask. I was, so, so what is what are the new tats you got since then? And also, I want to know. The first one, not not the next one you're getting, but the first one you're getting when you sign an NFL contract. What, what's what's that going to be? Uh, the first one I'm probably get is uh some brick roads going down the side of my uh, ribs. You know, just just for the street I, my house is on. It's still there to this day. And the last one I got was uh, I actually got two at the at one time. It was one on my forehead, it said "Hate or Love It," and then one on the back of my neck say 236 and that's just the house i, I grew up in and still live in and that's awesome i don't want to get too graphic here but like do you have how much more room do you have for tattoos if you've got <laughs> 75 at this point uh i got the, the right side no is it, yeah the right side of my neck i got to finish i got a little bit of space on my arms and then my body and my legs Jeez, yeah, that's uh, that, that's a lot of tattoos, but you know, to to, I mean, if you you got you got to represent your area, I totally get that, and wanting to to you know show show your hometown some love, and I think that it's interesting. The more you talk to Youngstown people, they they really really respect you know where they're from and in this area that that talks about you know they talk about how it raised them. You're a Youngstown kid, and obviously Stoops is Youngstown through and through. I, I assume that he just has some sort of farm in Youngstown where he grows players to be his stars. How did that sort of give you guys a deeper connection? You know, just him being being from where I'm from, you know, he, he know my background, he know me, he know what type of kid I am, know where I was raised at. So, you know, for him just to accept me, for me, you know, it just went a long way with me. You know, I think one of the uh, the things that, like, blew me away about you, Lynn, was uh, when we, we sat there and talked in Birmingham was – like it, n- nothing seemed too big for you. Like the like the moment, like you you seemed very in control of, of your emotions and and just and, and had a great understanding of what was expected of you and, and the things that you were about to achieve going into the season. This season, one of the things I was most impressed by was I mean you're not only an All American, not only you know quarterback a five and two quarterback in the SEC, but you're also a father, which I think obviously is like more important than most of that stuff. What was it like this season balancing both of those things and doing it so well? You know, uh, it's easy. It's actually easy because you know, just just seeing my son and grinding hard for him, you know, and knowing him, I'm making him happy. You know, it just made me gave me the extra drive to go go hard and and do the things I did out there on the Saturdays. You know, your your recruitment was was different, I think, than a lot of people and a lot of people realize. I mean, you were committed to to Indiana at one point. You end up going with Kentucky, with Stoops, but at the last minute, Ohio State, as it very often does with in-state kids like yourself, they tried to swoop in at the last minute. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm going to Kentucky. You turned them down. Take take us back to kind of how all of that went down for you. You know, I just had committed to Kentucky. You know, um, they gave me a couple phone calls. You know, they were supposed to come see me the next day at, at school. And I told my mom I really didn't want to go. You know, so we, we just played sick. We stayed at home. And we just left it at that. 
Wait a minute. So you played sick from school to avoid talking to Urban Meyer in Ohio State? Yeah. Lynn, I will tell you right now, unequivocally, if I write in somebody as president in 2020 on the ballot, it's going to be you after that story. That is, let's go. I mean, that is, thank you. That is, ah, oh man, I hate Ohio State. Um, okay, so you obviously the kind of guy that <laughs> tried to get over that story here. Sorry. Um, you seem like the kind of guy that is obviously going to test and interview well at the Combine. Is there anything specifically you're looking forward to in that whole process? Like where, you know, like a certain question, is it going to be like we're on the 40? Is it going to be like a you know, bench? Like what are you looking forward to most at showing out and, sh- and showing people off uh, or showing off to people at the combine stuff? You know, just, just showing people me, you know, uh, I, I really, I, I mean, like I knew I had it in me, so I, I really didn't ever expect to be here, you know, just, just being able to have this opportunity to come out here and be able to perform at the combine, you know, so it was just, some, some. I'm just gonna shock the world, you know, with the things I do there, and you know, just, we're gonna go up from there. Your your versatility is gonna make you definitely an asset at at the next level for sure. It's made you an asset at Kentucky in ways that nobody could have seen coming. I'm gonna paint a little scenario for you. So it's the fourth quarter, and there's 10 seconds left in the Belk Bowl. I'm I'm giving you the ability to score a walk off touchdown, but you have to pick how you do it. Is it a returning a punt? B, throwing a Hail Mary, C, catching a Hail Mary, or D, running 80 yards for the touchdown as a quarterback? It's either. It's got to be out of the punt return or the 80 yards. Uh, I know I, I think I answered this before. I said probably a pass, but now the circumstance has, has changed, so I, I think it's either the 80 yard as a quarterback or, or the punt return, you know, two favorite things. Well, you got to show too for the next level. You got to be able to show, you know, that you can play special teams. You get that extra punt return. I was there. I remember last year when you. I don't think you were supposed to be returning the punt against Penn State, but you did anyways, and then you still returned it for a touchdown. It's. I mean, that you you have like the most. You have the highest efficiency rate for yeah. a punt return ever. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, okay, so I got to know. Like we we had we had Coach Soups on, like Connor said. And he came out of his shell a little bit, did some things. We had Cash Daniel on back in uh, like September or something like that as well. He came out of his shell. I, I got to know, is, it, is there an impression of anybody on the team that you got, or especially of Coach Stoops, that you can give for us? Oh, no, I'm bad at impressions. You know, I try, <laughs> but I'm, I'm bad at Okay, well, then follow-up question. We got to back up just in case. I know you said earlier you're about to be going to get Christmas shopping. What, what's the first thing you're getting on the Christmas shopping list? Uh, Paw Patrol for my son. Okay. <laughs> I've heard of that. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm aware of that. That's a, that's a really good gift idea. I think that'll, that'll go over pretty well, get you some brownie points. Um, sure. I saw that, uh, I saw that in addition to, to getting the Paul Horning Award, uh, first team All-America honors, and probably some other awards that I'm, I'm forgetting, you got a different kind of honor. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this yet, but uh, David Ubin, who covers Tennessee for the Athletic, he put you at third on his Heisman Trophy, Heisman Trophy ballot. Um, yeah. What does that mean to you, and were you aware of that? Uh, I had ended up finding out like a couple of days, like, maybe like two days ago. They put me on there, and uh, you know, it just it's just an honor to be on there. Maybe if I started at quarterback earlier in the year, I probably end up winning. It, you know, me and Joe from the SEC, you know, the best best league in the country. You know, so it's just, it's just an honor to be on on something like that, high prestigious thing. You know, I, I used to play the game, and you know, my mom player used to be winning it, so it's just an honor to be a part of that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. We're gonna so we're gonna get you out of here. I know you just got out of practice. And you, you you know got a lot of stuff to do. 
So we're going to get you here on something called Two Minute Drill, which is we're going to ask uh, basically just 10 questions. It's all rapid-fire responses. The first thing that pops in your head, and we'll have some fun. You ready? Yep. All right, first question. Bucket list concert you got to go to. Uh, NBA Youngboy. Okay. Second question. What is in your What's in your headphones playing on Spotify, iTunes, whatever right now? Wait, I can't hear you. One, one more time. What What's in your headphones right now? Last song played. Uh, probably uh, no cap. Ghetto Angels. Okay. Um, okay, you're on a road trip, right? Get your, what's your go to gas station snack? Uh, the little powder donut, seventy five cent. Ooh. Okay. Those are so strong good. move. Um. All right, so if you watch, do you watch the show The Office? No, I don't. Oh, tough one. Okay, so what show are you binge watching if you have time in the off season? Uh, the Walking Dead. Ooh, you still watching Last it? Last season. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Dude, that was like my favorite show for like five straight years, and then after a while, I just it was. Well, should I? I wish I would have known that before. I've got so many questions about that. Um, okay, yeah. hold on. Back to the game here. Five, number number five. Go to karaoke song. Uh, probably "Lonely Child" by NBA YoungBoy. Okay, same. It's exact same for me too. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, what's your what's your favorite Christmas song? Uh, Jingle Bell. Really? Jingle Bell Rock, actually. Yeah, Jingle okay, Bell, Jingle Bell Rock. Rock. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, what's the best Christmas gift you ever received? Uh, my son. Even though he was born in April. Okay, that's Christmas that's good. Gift. That counts. That's fair. Um, okay, first thing you're buying when you sign an NFL contract? Uh, my mom, my house, and the car. It's a solid answer. Solid answer. I hope my mom's not listening because I did not do that. Um, best Christmas movie of all time? Uh, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Yes. Good. Amen. Yeah. I have. Okay, this is. That is the single greatest answer we have ever had on Two Minute Drill. And I'm so glad yeah. that you took the time to say two lost in New York because yeah. the most overrated thing of all time is that Home Alone 1 is better than Home Alone 2. I, You got all the points for that. That's Yeah, that Lynn, I will yeah. say that like you got, I've never seen somebody get so excited about Home Alone 2 right there. Like It's not a, a popular movie that everyone <laughs> loves and is on every day. Thank yeah. Connor. Connor. Um, okay, last one. Last one. we got to add this in here. You have you you have a mic in front of you. You have you have thousands of people listening. You got one thing to say to everybody that's doubted y'all so far, is is doubting y'all going to the uh, the Belk Bowl. What do you have to say to them? Uh, keep believing in us, and if you don't, you know, uh, forget you. And we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep riding this way. Love it, dude. I love it. I love it. You guys have been uh, you guys have been really fun to watch, especially the last couple of years. We've been uh, we've been all aboard the the Lynn Bowden hype train. Like I said, I mean, we've been talking about it for a while. Glad that you were able to to come on. Know that you've got a lot of stuff going on, practice and collecting all those awards and Christmas shopping and all that stuff. Lynn, uh, we want to wish you the best of luck with everything you've got going forward. I'm sure that we'll be talking about you as like some wildcat quarterback in the NFL and playing three different positions really soon. Appreciate all you coming All pro, on. man. Yes, Deserve all the success Appreciate you get. It. Yep. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Take care, man. Have a good one. Right, you too. Appreciate Lynn for coming on. We've now had two Kentucky players and one Kentucky coach 
come on this podcast and all of which have been just great. I've enjoyed each one of them. Um, and that's just kind of speaks to the rise of this program because obviously to make it on this podcast, you have to be, you have to be nationally relevant, of course. Right. Uh, Without a doubt. I mean, (laughs) you know, honestly, like I should have seen this coming because it's like a Bama fan and a Red Sox fan. It should come as no surprise that I was a huge Kentucky basketball fan in the early or mid nineties. Oh, of course. Yeah. Obviously. Big Tony Delk guy. Before we get to the rest of our bowl preview stuff, Marler, why don't you tell us about your best friend this Christmas? It's not me. It's Texas Pete. Queso. Um, no, it is Texas Pete. So I've got good news. My, Like I said, the uh, the future in-laws are in town. They are from the Pacific Northwest, and uh, they are, what's the best way to put this? A little uppity when it comes to their taste buds, okay? Highbrow? Uh, healthy is a, is a better way to put okay. it. Big, big kale fans. Not a huge, huge fan of Southern cuisine because they like, I don't know, they don't like diabetes, whatever. That being said, my future father-in-law, Paul, is fired up to go on just a tour of fried chicken uh, establishments in Atlanta while he's here. Nice. And there is one other person that's going to be third-wheeling that that entire week. That's Texas Pete. You put it on everything, it's best on fried chicken. I just, You know what? New Year's, we can make our resolutions lose weight, lose weight then. Let's make a resolution now to just enjoy our food for the remaining week of the year, okay? Put it on everything, not ice cream, that's a little bit weird, but everything else, you can put it on eggs, you can put it on your avocado toast, like Connor said, put it on your fried chicken, whatever you do, uh, make sure you go out and get some Texas Pete, whether it's dust, the original hot sauce, the wing sauce, all of it's great. Um, and if you are tailgating with Texas Pete or doing a little Christmas gating as well, make sure you take pics, send them to us with the hashtag sauce like you mean it. You know what else you can put Texas Pete on? A little coconut shrimp, a little blooming onion. Ooh. That is Ooh. how we segue into the Outback Bowl, where Auburn is a seven and a half point favorite against the Fighting PJ Flex of Minnesota. This game, New Year's Day, one o'clock. I actually won't be this able to. Bull. I yeah, I know. I know you're frustrated with the time slot. I am as well because I'll be at I'll be at the Citrus Bowl for Bama and Michigan. I won't be able to to keep uh, close tabs on this one, but. Um, a game that I am actually excited for. I had this high yeah. in my bowl excitement rankings because I think it's I think it's a really good matchup. I think it's a great a great matchup in the trenches, especially now that we know that Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson are both playing in this yeah, game. Yeah, Nick Coe announced he's not playing. Like, I was like, dude, Nick, Nick Coe, really? <laughs> you, man. You announced you were playing most of the season, I'm pretty sure. Ooh, that's and hold on, let me just say something real quick, and let me just vent and get this off my chest. This will be the one thing that I yell about most likely on this episode. I know for a fact, and we've had people confirm this, this game used to be an 11 o'clock start. It like used back, to be. Back You're in right. the day. It and it is, it is such an absolute... I'm, you know what? I'm going to say it. It's the end of the year. We'll bleep it out. It's bull****. That, that this is not a... This is starting at 1 o'clock. The Clowny game was games one, on. was 11 o'clock, wasn't it? What's that? The Clowny Michigan hit was... I think that was an 11 o'clock start. I, I, it, I really it, do. It wasn't that long ago. And they did it... It's like, you know what? Here's the deal. This is like one of the last days of football... That fans can then tune in, and from start to finish, you have you know seemingly great matchups. It's it's like it, it's also it's such a tradition of college football, New Year's Day bowl games, mm-hmm. and the fact that we have a one o'clock start and a one o'clock start pitted against each other in basically the same bowl, right? It's SEC versus Big Ten. It's 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 such a disservice to the fans of college football, and it makes me so mad that especially this late in the year, if this was week one, fine, fine, I've got 13, 14 more weeks that I can watch. This is one of the last games or, or days of games of the entire season, and you put these two games right next to each other. And then I think there's another one that starts at what one thirty. Yeah, there's there's games. It's ridiculous, all day. man. Yeah. It's um, like it just right after. But it, stagger yeah. them so we can watch all of them. I don't, I don't understand this. I wonder how much of this 
it's definitely not a Tampa versus Orlando thing. That rivalry is is not heated Close. enough. Uh, the, the the different war on I four. No, I I think that part of it could be the hangover factor of people that can't make it to the stadium in time for an eleven a.m. game. Yeah, I think that could be part of it. And as frustrating as it is to be able to not get those, you know, be able to watch both games because halftime kind of sets up to where it's at the mm-hmm. start of the other game, and it usually works out very well. I, I think that this is just kind of the a little bit more of it, trying to get as many people into the stadium as possible. That's the sad reality. Louder. We know that Auburn is frustrated not to be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. I think Minnesota is also frustrated that it didn't get the love all year from the playoff selection committee that it thought yeah. it should have. And I, I think there's definitely a case to be made for that. I think that both of these teams are going Man, to... Hold on real quick. Let me just say it. So if Minnesota fans are listening... No one's told them they're pretty. They're you're pretty, Minnesota. You know what? I'll say it. There, there's a lot of reasons you were overrated. You're pretty. That you don't deserve what the play, the playoff committee to do. I think two things can be true at the same time. I think Minnesota. I don't think Minnesota's a fraud at all. And no. we do this thing with confirmation bias when a team that we didn't think was going to be, you know, a team that, that none of us predicted necessarily to be in fighting for a New Year's Six Bowl or even to have a playoff life at the end of the regular season. When a team like that loses, we all piggyback and say, oh, yep, they are who we thought they were because it makes yep. it makes what we said in the preseason look smarter. And that's unfair right. to a team like Minnesota. That's so really spot on, unfair. Connor. And I think that Minnesota is going to want to come out and they're going to want to send everything that they have in terms of trying to get pressure on Bo Nix, and they're not going to hold anything back. I, I totally get that. And I don't think Minnesota's a fraud at all. Having said that, I think this matchup sets up great for Auburn. I think it sets up so, so well because what they can do with that defense, with Marlon Davidson, with Derrick Brown, with those guys up front getting pressure, I think that they can get pressure with three or four down linemen. I think that's going to confuse Tanner Morgan. You have to be able to cover these Minnesota wideouts. These Minnesota receivers are really, really good. They are legit. They look like SEC receivers, and I know that seems baffling because why in the world would Minnesota, of all places, have SEC-type receivers? They are impressive. They're going to make a couple catches that are going to make you go, holy cow, these guys are crazy talented. Auburn is going to want to do what it did against LSU, which is make sure that it has as much help possible on that back end. That means only sending those three or four guys up front and not necessarily you know, blitzing and allowing Tanner Morgan to have that quick read. So I think that sets up really, really well for Auburn to be able to control the tempo in this matchup. They're going to want to control the tempo as well in the offense with the ground game. I don't think that they're going to want to air it out as much as they were earlier in the year. I think we've seen Gus kind of figure out his identity for this game. New Gus is around a whole lot of Hooters and strip clubs in Tampa, which that's just, in case you need another thing to favor Auburn in this matchup, I think that's only going to help them. Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing about New Gus. If there's one thing he knows, it's that strip clubs are overrated and they're a money pit, and there's a lot more bang for your buck, not literally, but um, depending on how much you pay, to go to, <laughs> that was inappropriate, to go to Waffle House. Um, anyway, that's either here nor there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why we did this. Um, oh, I anyway, you went no, there. I think what you, what you said about, about, Minnesota is so spot on, and I'm glad that you said it because we're all guilty of it. But like fans, especially, this is Utah is another perfect example, yep, yep. and and it's it's one of those things that we're so quick. I always say we're a nation of haters, and we're so quick to want to be like to dismiss teams that we that we don't think are good enough for whatever reason. It's kind of the same way with Kentucky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's it, for whatever reason we have an idea of whether it's the eye test or just our own biases. Like it's 
Minnesota is a, is a good football team, and what you said about the receivers, especially, they are very, very talented. Uh, on, on, oh man, in the passing game, like they, very physical, very, like incredible athletes too. So that's I think that's going to surprise some people. Minnesota, they didn't they didn't have to play Ohio State, right? They played Penn State, who has a good. They have a, a very good defensive line. What they are about to see is it's unlike anything they have seen all season long. It is, I mean, absolutely unlike anything they've seen all season long, and I they're gonna they're gonna be in for a rude awakening with those two in the middle. I, I think it's gonna be a good game. I think it's gonna be a lot closer, especially early, because this is a thing like, you've seen it all year long, or you probably haven't seen it all year long. But PJ Fleck is a master motivator. He's a very good football coach, and the Penn State game, everyone, everyone assumed that Penn State was gonna win that game, right? Oh, yeah. They came out firing on all cylinders, got out to an early lead. He will 1,000% try to do that against this team because this is not about beating Auburn or winning a bowl game. This is about putting your your program and your brand on the map and, and continuously trying to do that. And I think it's a good opportunity for Minnesota to do that. Yeah, believe it or not, 11-win seasons do not grow on trees in the Twins. In Minnesota? Yeah, they do. No, not. nothing grows on trees in Minnesota. It's good like point. negative four degrees there. Good point. Chad Morris, new Auburn offensive coordinator, is apparently going to be involved in the game plan. He's going to be in the press box, but he is not calling plays. Fear not. He's going to change quarterbacks 17 times in this game. Gosh, he's going to want to be like, oh, hey, who's Malik Willis? Is he still on the roster? No, he's not. For (laughs) real. Now, listen here, Gus. Um, like, I see what you're doing. I like it. I like it, okay? Okay, but what what about this? Hey, three and out? I think we should go with another guy. Let's bring somebody else. Same offense. Let's put anyone else in at quarterback just for fun. Let's just let's just see. Let's have an extended spring practice for the whole year. Yeah, Joey Gatewood, is he he's still there? No, he's not still there anymore. Oh man. At Kentucky, speaking of Kentucky. The over-under is references made to the the stadium boat that's at Raymond oh, James Stadium in Tampa. And PJ Flex famous row of the boat phrase. They're gonna make that that connection in a hurry. I set the over-under at those combined references at 3.5. Over. And also, I, I hope you think this will be a Bo Nix hype train game, Connor. You know, he's, he's got Heisman odds. He's got the fourth best Heisman odds. I, you know, I think this Auburn's a really good football team. Um, it's tough that they went nine and three or in a like a suitable bowl game. They they, they got the game. That I think they deserve. I think they're I think they're going to win against Minnesota. I think they'll pull away late. Um, we saw it. We saw it. Bo or what Gus Malzahn did last year in a bowl game where he was calling plays and like kind of felt like he had a point to prove. Yep. This team is dangerous when they when they feel like they got a point to prove and they're not having to go up against a top defense. Yep, I've got Auburn winning this game, forty two to twenty one. That's outrageous, but yeah, I'll say thirty to seventeen. All right, that's not that that different. Forty two points. Yeah. Uh, the, How many extra seconds are they going to get on the clock? All they need is one. Citrus Bowl. Bama, seven-point favorite against Michigan. I'm going to come out and say it from the top. This is my lock of bowl season for Bama to cover a seven-point spread. This game, at the same time as the Outback Bowl, we get Saban versus Harbaugh, finally, albeit in different circumstances, not exactly the one that we were kind of hoping for. I always thought this would have been a great playoff semifinal matchup. Michigan, obviously, not good enough to get there every single year that Harbaugh's been there. Jerry Judy, playing. Devontae Smith, playing. Michigan, Josh Uche, playing in this game as well. We do know that Trayvon Diggs, Tara Lewis, not playing in this game. This is a, I don't want, I'm not going to say it's a, it's a Mac Jones hype train. I'm not going to say that. Oh, God. But I am going to say that this game is so, so, so important for the quarterback room at Alabama moving forward. Because there is nothing that Bryce Young, 
nor Talia Tungvaloa nor Paul Tyson can do in this game. Unless they come in for an injured Mac Jones or something like that, or if it's garbage time, there is nothing that they can do to set themselves apart in the way that Mac Jones can. And what Mac Jones did yep. against Auburn, I realize he had the two mistakes. Those were costly. In my opinion, they don't make those he mistakes. He was incredible. He was very, very good for the majority of that game. That would be a huge feather in Mac Jones's cap for this game. I'm going to be stunned if Steve Sarkeesian doesn't want to just take shot after shot after shot with Mac Jones downfield because as I keep bringing up, and it's going to be brought up on the broadcast at least once or twice, probably six different times, the single high safety that Don Brown, for whatever reason, still lives by in 2019, oh, is going to get gashed by these Bama receivers. And Mac Jones, doesn't matter that he's not Tua throwing downfield, he's going to have some big, big plays. Tell me I'm not crazy for thinking that this just sets up for I, a Bama blowout. I, well, there's a reason the line's only at 7, because I think everyone's kind of hopping on that. I think like 73% of the public money's on that, so you usually want to stay away. Uh, talented, really talented defense has been, like, like statistically in the top, you know, five in the past two seasons, I think, three seasons under Don Brown. Um, I'm shocked, by the way, that... I, I went into this with, like, this, like, almost irrational anger that I was going to have to fight you about the Big Ten no. versus SEC nope. stuff. This game... I'm already irrationally angry at Jim Harbaugh and Michigan and all their fans because I, great, great program, sure, fantastic, great academic school, not 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 that great in, in football in the past 70, 80 years, but this game, yeah, it's a mismatch. It's a complete mismatch. I don't care who's playing quarterback for Bama. Like I'm sure that Michigan is going to do some things well like, on like defense, and this is a kid that we saw go up against Auburn and throw those two interceptions. It's probably why they lost the game. Besides that extra second they added to the clock. But this team has been so consistently underwhelming. Saban's 3-7 and seven against the spread in bowl games, this past 10 bowl games, right? Really? Like, it, it hasn't, yeah, hasn't been great. Um, we know what this defense has given up through most of the season, and Michigan has a, a decent, decent offense and, and some pretty good skill position players. This is a team that every single time they've gotten into a big game situation, they have been not favored, or they've either been favored or they've been a slight underdog because it's Michigan. It's Michigan, okay? And they, they that top, that defense, seventh in the country total defense. They are 19th in scoring defense, fifth in pass defense, which you think that sets up well against Bama. Here's a better stat for you. They have played three teams with top 40, just top 40 offenses. In those games, they give up 462 yards a game, 35 points per game, oh. 240 rushing yards per game, 222 passing yards per game. Their yards per play, Connor, go up by two yards for every single play. It's almost like teams that have modern offenses actually know how to snuff out Down Brown's defenses. It's, it's it a is, crazy thought, but it's such a it's such an arrogant and stubborn in my opinion, I think it's from from the top down. It is such a stubborn program of like Jim Harbaugh's like, no, I know how to win. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do it this way. It's like I'm a Michigan man. They, they've their offense this year is they've averaged 17 points less per game against ranked teams. And we've talked about this before with Harbaugh going back in his entire tenure, his entire tenure at, at Michigan. He is two and thirteen versus ranked teams away from home, and he's losing those games by double digits on average. The only wins, the only wins away from home against ranked teams, Florida, Florida in a Rose Bowl. Uh, uh, not not the Rose Bowl, not they're, Rose Bowl. I'm sorry, yeah, they're in the Citrus this, Bowl. Same same. The very first year, like forty one to seven, yep. Northwestern by three points. They they have been atrocious in games where they've mattered most, and I I, I hope Bama throws all over this defense. I think they will. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I will I will say, I'll, I'll give Car Harbaugh credit for turning over the offense to Josh Gaddis. Did a 
turn turn into a modern offense about three years too late, and they have been better offensively down the stretch. But I still think that Bama rolls in this one. I think Bama wins fifty-two to twenty-eight and covers that seven points easily. Easily, I have the over under. Oh, did you did you make a you already made a pick, didn't you? No. Oh, make a pick. Go ahead. Sorry. So. The adverse side of that, people, the whole narrative about two, especially that like in, against good defenses, they didn't show up and that, like their numbers are, are are way down. Only once this year they have under forty points. Only once this year do they have under four hundred yards of total offense. A- against top forty de- defenses, they averaged over forty points, almost five hundred yards a game. Nobody has really Bama stopped wins. the damn offense yet. No, and and, and this if this this matters to Saban. Like this, like changing that whole perception of like they sh- like they are they are a big letdown in big games like this or yeah. games where they, you know they don't have to show up. They'll win by they'll win by fourteen or more. Yeah, the over under is how many times the word satellite camp is said. Oh. If you recall the Harbaugh Saban beef that happened a few years ago, where Saban yeah. called out Harbaugh, and it was it ended up being a thing where Harbaugh fired back on Twitter, said it was rich of Alabama to essentially accuse Michigan of cheating, whatever the case. Sometimes they stay away from that on the broadcast. That's why I have the over yeah. under only at one. Yeah, push. I guess I don't push. Okay. The Gaddis thing will be a bigger issue. Yeah, the Gaddis thing will be brought up a lot in this game. Let's go to the Sugar Bowl, where Georgia is a six and a half point favorite against Baylor. That game being played on New Year's Day, eight forty-five p.m. Eastern. A very, very late one. The UGA offensive line is going to be missing some key, key pieces. Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson are both off to the NFL. They are not going to be playing this one. Ben Cleveland is academically ineligible. So in other words, <laughs> that, that offensive line, which we already knew about the loss of Sam Pittman, is now going to be in a very, very different look but than it was throughout the year. This is like tale as old as time. This is a big thing in D2 baseball, Connor, being academically ineligible at the end of the season you know and about going that? into the offseason. I mean, I was always eligible, but I know there are a lot of people. It's just you just don't go to class because you don't have to. Yep. During that, you don't have to make your grades during the season. I, that's that it is kind of crappy from from that standpoint. But um, this is I think this is one of my top locks of the, of the entire bowl season. Ooh. I don't think George. First off, if guys go to the game, go to New Orleans. It's nine dollars for a ticket to this game. Gosh, isn't that amazing? This is not like Tech and whatever. I forgot who they even play. NC State that I went to like in in Atlanta. Like it's a Sugar Bowl. Nine dollars to go to New Orleans? Don't listen. I'm not trying to be hard on UGA fans because I get the letdown and, and all that kind of stuff. But go enjoy the Sugar Bowl. I, I think spending spending a, a weekend in New Orleans, or I guess it's it's because it's Wednesday. That's that's probably part of it, and it's kind of a you afraid thing to sleep outside. Where people have to come back to work on the second, so it's a and it's a late kick. That that probably is is a part of it, and why tickets have been just so so cheap on the secondary market. It's one of the cheapest yeah. bowl tickets that you can get, but. It is. It is kind of you know if you're if you're Georgia if you're a Georgia fan getting fired up for this game, I think that there are a few things that 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 are that you want to see going into the offseason. Now you want to see obviously the offensive progression. You want to see Jake Fromm actually be able to throw the ball without Lawrence Cager, without Dominique Blaylock. Georgia mm-hmm. is going to have the aforementioned Fromm, DeAndre Swift, and J.R. Reed as well. That's that's the good news for this game. We don't know necessarily, but we're recording this on Monday at noon. So we don't necessarily know if DeAndre Swift, or, you know, DeAndre Swift said he's going to wait till after the bowl game to make a decision. We don't know necessarily yet about Jake Fromm. He's waiting till uh, apparently after the bowl game to make a decision as well. But the motivation to avoid last year has to be there. And what these guys, yes. what, especially those three guys, 
experienced last year and how that Texas game really kind of dampened the year that was, where Georgia had a really, really good year. A really good year. And it ruined all of that because of how it played against Texas and how that just left a stench throughout the program. We had to hear Texas is back. Ugh, it was the worst. That, the whole offseason. That's why I don't... confident. I, I don't think that there's this is a repeat of that. I think Baylor's a lot better than people give them credit for. I mean, they've been so consistent all year. But, I mean, this is a, like, very, very much... Like, like the amount of talent on Georgia versus Baylor, it's... Very different, guys. Like yeah. this is like, and I understand Baylor is a very well coached football team. Matt rules in a fantastic job, and there is the the whole thing about Baylor playing a backup quarterback. True, maybe cause for concern. I'm I'm saying that in jest, but I mean, I think Georgia rolls in this one. I don't think it's even close. I think that last year, if you're trying to if if you're trying to convince yourself that Baylor's going to do exactly what Texas did, the issue is that. I don't think you can run on this Georgia defense this year the way that you did last year. And I think missing some of the pieces that they were missing last year in the Sugar Bowl definitely hurt Georgia. And they just didn't, you know, what's the first thing to go when you don't have a motivated team? It's the ability to tackle. And I'm not saying that Texas didn't deserve that win. They absolutely did. Portion control. That's That's a very very good point. Um, But I I agree with you. I think this sets up for Georgia to be plenty fired up in this game. And for Kirby, experiencing this for the second time, of not, you know, this was an unfamiliar thing for him last year. We're not, not necessarily making excuses for him, but I think he struggled with that that month, that in-between month of getting players who were fired up and all on the same page for this game. And I think dealing with this the second time, he's going to have a different perspective. I is I also think that George is going to win this game. I have him winning 24-7. to The over-under is shots of Chip and Joe in a suite's in, in Mercedes-Benz Super, Superdome, you know that they're going to be there. You know that they're going to yeah. be there. I set the over-under at 4.5, keeping in mind that number might seem a little bit conservative, but if there's not a lot of great Baylor moments in this game, which I don't know that there is, there's not gonna be, then it's going to be tough to show them that much. Yeah, I think I think this is, I, if, if I'm a Georgia fan or if I'm a Georgia player or coach especially, this is such a huge game to just get, like, you cannot go into the, another offseason like, where this is... This is included in the narrative about exactly about your program and like come in, in big games, all kind of stuff. Because you can't do it two years in a row. Like, well, we didn't want to show up because you know yeah. it's not, you're not coming off a championship season. You know what I mean? And I don't I don't think it's going to be an issue. And I get the whole thing about the the offensive line being kind of banged up. That offensive line has been banged up more than any other offensive line in the entire country all season. They've had to use so many different combinations up there, and they're so talented on the offensive line. I think I think Georgia wins. I think Georgia wins big. I, I don't know if Baylor's, Baylor's going to score. Cade Mays is going to play six different positions on the offensive line. I know there's only yeah, five positions that's fair. on the offensive line, but that's 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 what he'll be expected to do. Let's go to the Gator Bowl. Tennessee is a one and a half point favorite against Indiana. This game being played in Jacksonville, Duval, uh, Thursday, January second. This game, which. Ah, I like the time slot because to be it clear, kind of, the Gator Bowl is on the second, and the Orange Bowl is on the thirtieth of December. Weird, weird. I like okay. though. I like that it's after New Year's Day, and we we don't have this all of a sudden like, oh, football's just gone for twelve days, or we're gonna have a random, you know, like the 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 New Orleans Bowl, whatever it is, on January fifth. Yeah, what 5th. is that? I, I don't. I don't want. I need. I need one more day of football to kind of wean us off of it, and then. But good football. Yeah, like. The, yeah. But these are these are two teams that have played that have played pretty well down the stretch in the second half of the season. Oh yeah, this is gonna be a great game. Yeah, I meant like the New Orleans Bowl. I I I, I think this is sneaky going to be one of the most competitive, entertaining games. Tennessee, and, and just because of the fact that both teams incredibly motivated, you don't really have to question that. 
Tennessee comes in obviously having won five straight. They won those games by an average of 14 points. I kept talking about how yeah. rare that was for Tennessee to actually win comfortably against Power score 5 14 teams. points? Yeah, score 14 points. Indiana is seeking its ninth win for the first time since when? 1967. 1967. Yowza. First bowl win this would be for Indiana since 1991. 1993. Damn it, Chris. Yeah, close. So close. Um, yeah, I was a solid year old to, uh, for that, so um, do some quick math there. The Indiana offense has been the calling card this year. Their offensive coordinator, Kalen DeBoer, who was, from Fres- who was from Fresno State, that's where they got him. He's actually going back to Fresno State to be the head coach there. Yeah. He just is got he that job. The game? He is coaching in the bowl game as well. Shout out to Tom Brew, a uh, guy who worked for SDS, who was actually the first one to report that. He's now doing stuff for Sports Illustrated Maven um, covering Indiana. Indiana is going to want to test this this Tennessee secondary. That's been yep. the, their their calling card has been the passing game with Peyton Ramsey. That has been what has kind of allowed them to get to this level that they just have not been at in years past. Tom Allen, Indiana head coach. I, I mentioned it before with the bull excitement rankings, how crazy he goes on the sideline, how entertaining that is. He's got that new money. He's got that new money. He's going to be feeling <laughs> himself a little bit. He's at rich. He's at rich for the holidays. Isn't that the best thing to be? It's the best, yes. He's got $3.9 million contract that is that is going to kick in next year. Um, Tennessee, we know, uh, has Juwan Jennings suspended for the first half of this one after the the fight for the in the Vandy game, which felt a little bit like the SEC office taking a hedge and not really knowing kind of what to do with it. No, Connor, first off, let me defend the conference for a minute because if you're going to sit here and say that the SEC officials were anything but competent, and reasonable and fair, we're gonna fight. I, I don't think I'm saying that. I think they they didn't really know all the circumstances that went <laughs> that went into that, and they said if we suspend Juwan Jennings for his last game at Tennessee, we're gonna have a Greg Schiano like revolt from Tennessee fans. Deservingly so. And if we don't suspend him, then what does that say about kind of where we're at? So they kind of took the middle ground and decided we'll they suspend call it him targeting. For the first half. Call targeting. That's, that's good. That's really good. Um, I can see Juwan Jennings coming into this game in the second half and leading a Tennessee comeback. And Punches an official? No, whoa. Well, we're not going there. <laughs> we're not going that was there. too much, yeah. I can see him leading I mean, like, turnaround. metaphorically. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I don't know how you metaphorically punch an official, but I'd be pleased if you could show us. I mean, you're not a real fan if you haven't wanted to punch a, a, a official this season in the face. I'll just say it, okay? That's true. Um, you could probably read the clock better if you had only if you had one black eye. You put an, wouldn't put an extra second on the clock. All anyway, right. moving on. This game, I think this is like one of the best matchups of of all the uh, SEC games or SEC bowl games I agree. this year. And so when I, I a lot like uh, the Louisville thing when I first like was co- going through like the picks and and like looking at these games, I was like, oh yeah, I use like pretty underrated. Like I know they had the 14th best uh, passing offense in the country. They're a top 40 offense and defense in the country. Like I mean they they've been they've been a, a good team. They've been they've been a really good team. Um, I thought, on paper, no offense to your alma mater, but I'm about to rip them a new one. Go ahead. So I'm not an Indiana football fan. This won't hurt my feelings at all. We all know Tennessee's won five of their last six. Uh, they've covered the spread in six of the last seven. The only loss, of course, to Bama, and that's a game where they gave, like, they held Bama to their lowest uh, season total for points and yards. Uh, what do you call it? Yards gained. This Tennessee team is—they've won ugly. It, like, like they've won these games in the same way that, like, remember in dodgeball when they had to get to the qualifying tournament and they had to play that like uh, Girl Scout team, mm-hmm. and there was that one roided out girl with all the arm hair. 
So they won by disqualification. That's kind of what Tennessee's done for most of like, the latter half of the season. Like they have, the competition's been kind of weak, but they've they've been fantastic for that entire time. And here's why that's important, Connor. People have been like anybody that said Tennessee has five of these six wins that come against like inferior opponents. Let me bring you to Indiana's schedule. We've talked about how great the offense is. Okay, they are top. They are 14th in passing offense in the entire country, over 300 yards per game. That's pretty good. Just With a backup quarterback, too, by the way. People forget that. That Michael Michael Penix was actually their starting quarterback, and he's been out for the year. Peyton Ramsey came in. Go ahead. Fantastic. That's that's great. Let's go look at this schedule, okay? It's not great. Is, I know this is, this is a stat that you want to bring up a lot. They're 8-4 and four in the Big Ten, and, and you always bring up they don't have a win against a, a FBS team with a winning record. Yep. Here are the here are the records for the eight wins. I'm sorry, the seven FBS teams that they've played uh, that they have beaten. Three and nine. Well, they're, they two got and eight ten, wins, so they're two, yeah. yeah, but they played a FCS team, so it didn't count. Oh, you're just saying FBS. I'm gotcha. not counting Eastern Illinois. Go ahead. Far sorry, away. I'm gonna go back to what I was saying now. Sorry about that. Um so the seven wins against FBS teams. Three and nine, two and ten, two and ten, five and seven, five and seven, three and nine, four and eight. Four and eight. Their average rank of opponent has been 104th. Their best win against uh, opponents ranked, this is according to CBS, and they're, they're 1 through 130 rankings. 78th is the highest win against uh, against an opponent. That's, like, Nebraska was like ranked 78th. That is a combined record of 24 and 60, Connor. Not good. 24. That's 29% winning percentage. Tennessee's going to win this game, and I think they're going to embarrass them. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you- I use a, they are they are a a. A facade of a good team. You were going to throw around a different F word, I thought. So I was because in the actual games where they had to play good competition, and I'm not saying Tennessee is Ohio State or one of these ranked teams from the Big Ten, they've lost by an average of 20 and a half points per game. I don't know if Tennessee necessarily has the offense to be able to to kind of run away from them. I, I Does Purdue? Uh, I mean, they they beat Purdue, so that's yeah. I know, but they gave up 38 yard or they gave up 38 points per game in their last three games, and one of, they gave up like 45 to Purdue or 41. Yeah, it's still it's still Jeff Brom on the offensive side of the ball. Anything can kind of okay. happen in a situation okay. like that. I am picking Tennessee to win this game as well. I have Tennessee winning 34 to 31, and I think Tennessee comes back, and I think they have a great comeback in the second half, and I think we have a great Jared Garantano, Jawan Jennings touchdown cast that like ties it up or like go ahead, go ahead, whatever it is. And I think all of a sudden we look at this Tennessee season and the off-season hype train, the proverbial yep. off-season hype train that always comes with Tennessee is going to come. The over/under that I have is the term off-season momentum is said oh, for God. either one of these programs. It can it can apply to. I set the over/under at three. Yeah, over by a lot. All right. Also, I don't ever want to hear the word hedge used with my picks ever again. That's not what, what do I have? You have you have picked against Mississippi State. I, you have picked against all Big Ten teams. I know what you're up to. I'm not hedge. I'm not hedging I know at what you're all. Up to. I am you're alma mater. I'm, I'm picking. I'm picking Ohio State to win to win against Clemson. That's not hedging. But yeah, it's just wrong. Oh, all right. I see how it is. Uh, let's go to the Peach Bowl, the the big one in Atlanta, the one that we will be at. LSU, as of right now, on Monday, is a 13 and a half point favorite against Oklahoma. Big injury news in this one. Oklahoma, as we know, without three players due to suspension. We know that they're also going to be without their second leading tackler. The Laren Turner yell? I'm just going to call him DTY. <laughs> He's definitely just called DTY whenever anybody from Oklahoma tweets about him, for sure, because they don't want to spell all that out. Uh, that happened, actually, um, after we recorded our interview with Dari Noka, so that's yeah. perspective is, is needs to be remembered with that. 
Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is expected to miss this game with a hamstring injury. That sucks. Which is just a major bummer because he's been one of my favorite players to watch in college football. Yeah, I don't think it matters to the, the outcome. I think it just matters. Like, it just sucks for that kid, man. He's had such a great year. The good news is, theoretically, we might be able to see if LSU wins this game. If they win this game, there's hope that he will be back for the title game, which, as we need to remember, is still not for another three weeks. Um, I mean, that, that is three weeks from from today as we're recording this, which is kind of a crazy thought, um, but that's that's the, the, the schedule that's in place this year. So that, that's the good news for LSU. There is, there is great irony in Oklahoma and what I think it would need to do to win this game. Oh, my God. It is a little bit of throwback Jalen Hurts. I don't think to win this game for Oklahoma – the recipe is going to be, let's let Jalen Hurts throw the ball 40 times and try and keep pace with this LSU passing offense. Yeah. I think, in theory, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I think Jalen Hurts is bound to make one or two crucial mistakes where, whether it's Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley, they make a big interception. It totally turns the momentum of that game, and it's just not ideal. I think the plan of attack for Oklahoma is is run heavy, and I I know what you're I know what you're thinking. Well, what if LSU runs out to a 14 nothing lead and they got to play catch up because that's what keeps happening with teams when they face yeah. LSU. <laughs> go back to that old Miss game, or go back even go back to that Texas A&M game where they they had said on the broadcast Jimbo Fisher wanted to run the ball with Kellen Mond and he wanted to have these mm-hmm. quarterback design runs because they saw what Ole Miss did with John Rice Plumley and running all over this LSU defense which I understand Grant Delpit wasn't healthy in this game but they have not seen LSU have not seen a team that is willing to spread it out and say we're going to run the ball with our quarterback since then and if Oklahoma can stay committed to that, where That's this really point, this Connor. turns out to being one of those games where Jalen Hurts gets the ball 20 carries, Kennedy Brooks is relied on a lot, I think that is a much more successful game plan to be able to build around that RPO and then you lull that defense to sleep. You lull that secondary to sleep with trying to go over the top with CeeDee Lamb to be able to get those key those key over-the-top you know, long touchdowns. That's obviously so much easier said than done, but that is the only way that Oklahoma, in my opinion, is going to have a chance to win this game. You know, and I, one thing I hate about this is that, like, I don't want to have. I hate. I hope people don't have like the lazy take and narrative on Jalen Hurts of he's just a running quarterback, he's a running he's back developed. quarterback. Yes, he's, just, he's been so much better in the passing game. However, this offense for Oklahoma is so much different than it has been in years past with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. Not just because those are better quarterbacks than Jalen Hurts. And again, Jalen's had a great season. But you look at like you know if you just look at from a from a number standpoint of how many he's only had three four games five, I'm sorry five games where he's had over 100 yards rushing right and, and I think two of those have been in like the final what's up I got a re- I got a great stat for you on that last year Kyler Murray averaged 10 carries per game in Lincoln Riley's offense I'm, I'm about to say it oh you're about to say oh go ahead sorry <laughs> go ahead go ahead my bad my so, bad yeah so the reason why these two dip, these offenses are different like the, he has he hasn't had a I assume, like looking at this, that he would have like almost every game over 100 yards rushing, like 200 yards passing, right? He he has averaged 19, 22, 27, 28, 16, and 23. You tell me what the average is on that, and and how many how many average how many uh, carries per game has he had this season? Jalen Hurts has averaged, I think, 18. Yeah, it's around. It's it's, and especially late in the season, they have really, really, really. Uh, kind of gone to that as like when they've been in dogfight games. That is what they have right. done. Then four of these and, five games in the season, he's had at least twenty carries in the, in right. all of those games that they won by one possession. That was sad. And I I know that's a good it's a great point what you brought up with the Ole Miss thing. I don't think that's going to be as big of a factor in this game because in 
they're, I know they're a huge underdog, and this is still a playoff game. This is a very good team. And in the same way, like don't take the have, don't have the lazy take about Jalen being the same quarterback he was at Bama because he's not. This is not the same OU defense that, that we've had in the past. Okay, they're ranked twenty fifth. They're a top twenty five defense in, in yards per allow, uh, yards per game allowed. Um, I think like top forty in uh, points per game allowed. They've been a lot better than they they led the Big Twelve in total defense, like three hundred thirty yards per game. That being said, in a game like this, they're gonna have to do something to to kind of gain momentum and take you know keep that offensive field whether it's it's probably a a non-offensive touchdown probably forcing you have to win the turnover battle and that is something that that few teams i think if any have done against this lsu uh lsu offense and oklahoma has been especially bad especially bad you said you brought up jalen hurts doing something to kind of hurt his team and dar brought up we'll hear in the interview here in a minute um it just seems like these timely fumbles that are, are are you know not the best time uh in these games they are 109th in the country in turnover margin, minus seven on the season. Even worse, if you're trying to win that battle, they're 121st in turnovers gained. If I mean, you are not going to force Joe Burrow into a lot of mistakes, and this defense does a very poor job of that. That's that's the biggest issue for this game, and that's the reason that the spread is is at two touchdowns. Is that LSU? I mean, if you want to stop them for four quarters, great. Congratulations. There has been one formula of how to do that, and I feel like I bring that up on every single podcast, and I apologize yeah. for getting sick of it. But until we see it, until we see somebody else actually do it and say, "All right, this is the way to actually," you know, if you're going to contain Joe Burrow, if you're going to present right. him, prevent him from getting those running lanes, I don't know how Oklahoma is able to to do that. For it's not possible, Connor. Impossible. I you. It's really it, honestly. I think it might be this. This offense is unlike you know. I'll say it again. Anything we've seen in the SEC before, especially from a passing standpoint. What I will say before we make the prediction, Oklahoma, that defense against ranked, they've been a lot better against ranked teams. It's not like a, a, a soft strength of schedule, right? Especially later in the season, mm-hmm. they played they played a very good schedule against ranked teams. They're three and zero against teams with uh, or FBS teams with winning records. They're five and one, and they are number number two in the country uh, in total defense versus ranked opponents, and the best. Number one overall in the country uh, for Power Five schools in in yards um, allowed, yards per game allowed on defense. That's that's impressive. I've got ahead of Ohio State. That's very good. That's very very good. I've got two over unders for us. I've got the Jalen Hurts Joe Burrow combined touchdowns. I set the over under at eight. Under, under eight. Okay. I think that it, it feels like both both quarterbacks. Seems like a lot. Seems like a lot, but at the same time, if Burrow has five touch. Five and three. Yeah, or, that's a good point. Um, it seems like a lot, but both both those guys are obviously so responsible for the majority of their offenses' production. The other over under, perhaps the more interesting over under. We are going to be at the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl. Oh yeah. So this is a Chick Fil A question. The oh, over three. I hate that you already beat me to the point. I was going to say combined Chick Fil A <laughs> sandwiches that we consume in the press box. I was gonna set the over under. I was gonna set the over under at four, bro. I'm I'm having I'm having three. I'm taking stuff on the road, man. It's the end of the season. This is true. Last game of the year can't hold anything back, except it's potentially not the last game of the year. My pick: LSU forty-eight, Oklahoma thirty-one. Think the Tigers roll in this one. Think they cover that spread. Oklahoma is able to do some things that eh, maybe not everybody's been able to do against the LSU defense as of late, but still think that LSU moves on, and we continue to think. The year of the Tiger continues. Yeah. Uh, LSU, I think 44. I think it's an even bigger blow. I think 20, 44, wow. 45 to 20. Um, also, best pick of, of bowl season, the first half uh, line is minus 7. Ooh. In favor of LSU, jump all over that. All right, definitely jump all over that. 
We recorded an interview with Dari where we got to talk about a lot of different Oklahoma things. He watches Oklahoma so much closer than we do, obviously, so he, he provided some great perspective on that. Also great perspective on the year that's been for LSU. Good to catch up with Dari. Hadn't been able to talk to him since uh, since our Charlotte visits, but uh, obviously somebody that has been super, super busy. was very grateful that he was able to take some time out while he was at, I think he was at like the tire store or something like that. But yeah. yes, great catching up with Dari. So here is our interview with SEC Network anchor, Dari Noka. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our buddy, SEC Network anchor, Dari Noka, lead SEC Network anchor. Um, Dari, I haven't had the chance to ask you this, but um, how are the the nine or ten Saturdays in Charlotte after our visit? Not as good as the one you guys were at. Um, there it yeah, is. If, if that's answer. what you want to hear, yeah. I assume, yeah yep. That was my assumption was that's why you would ask the question. Right. Yeah, I mean, your words, not mine, but that was the exact reason I asked that question. You're correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, was, it was good. It was good having you guys there. But you know, every Saturday there, when you're just sitting and watching football with Doring and Chiswick and and uh, and the crew we have in that room, man, we miss it. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's funny. Doring texted us last Saturday right around one o'clock and like, man, there's something I need to be doing right now other than what I'm doing. I mean, it's yeah. like yeah, right. we miss watching football together. Man, it's you know, it's a pretty special time of the year for us. You guys should just get together and watch random sports and just break that down the same way. You guys can show up to the office and just treat it like it's football. So Winter Olympics. Let's just, when's the next Winter Olympics? Let's do that. Yeah, I don't know that it would have the same pizzazz, you know, but hey, Chizik's all about, you know, he's all about two things, as he likes to say, vittles and fellowship. And, and vittles is obviously any kind of food, and fellowship is just fellowship, man. It's funny, the other day I'm signing there on Wednesday – we had like an hour and a half break, and so Chizik and I, I mean, he just like he goes, "D, we got to go get some vittles and fellowship, man." I'm like, right now? <laughs> That's awesome. Like, yeah, we got like an hour and a half, so we, uh, so we go over to Mellow Mushroom and have vittles and fellowship. It's just his thing. It's just he just wants to sit and hang out and tell some stories, and you know, I'm all good with that. So it's 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 a great time of the year. I mean, we have so much fun together, as you guys saw when you guys were in Charlotte. You know, now we transition over to the bowl games and uh, and, and move into basketball after that. Well, yeah. let's, let's talk about that because you, as an Oklahoma grad, I realize you've kind of drawn up the perfect win-win scenario for yourself here, and I know this is all you're doing. Um, you either get your <laughs> alma mater or an SEC team playing in the national championship. How blessed are you right now? This is the third year in a row, guys, that I have literally gotten to go cover a game, stand on the sideline to watch my beloved Sooners play because of work like work trips have sent me to pasadena to watch the best rose bowl i've ever seen oklahoma georgia sick brag they sent me to the orange bowl last year in miami to cover oklahoma alabama and now i get to go to atlanta and watch oklahoma lsu one of these days oh you will win one of these i just don't think it's you know <laughs> this i don't want to say i don't it. think it's this one no i love it you know it's it's funny because everybody's oh who are you rooting for you must be really you know you must be really torn and i'm like now hang on a second there's one place I was born. There's one way I was raised. There's one place I went to school. There's one place my actual heart really, really sits as a fan, and it's it's unfortunately not with the SEC team. I, like I would be thrilled to get to go cover LSU playing for a national championship uh, in New Orleans. I think it'd be an incredible opportunity. But like while and I will do my job as well as I can do it. I will do it without any bias, and I will do it completely fairly. But come on, I mean if. If anybody's, li- you know, everybody listens to this podcast, everybody that watches us is a fan, 
right? The reason I got into this is because I'm a fan. Like I'm, 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 there's a, there's a connection to the university of Oklahoma. There always will be. It's one of those things. And, but no, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to kind of get to go watch what I hope is a really good football game. I'm going to tell our, uh, our news team, I'll make sure I, I'll give them the headline to SEC Network Anchor explains why he wants SEC team to lose yeah. in semifinal. <laughs> you better pray that Oklahoma <laughs> doesn't win for the backlash. <laughs> yep. like... yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. So you know, two years ago after the Georgia game, um, I came back and I, I just wrote this blog. Uh, I have a website that we started. I haven't done anything with it. It's just, it's literally a starrynoka.com. I'm not even trying to punch, like, you know, uh, publicize it because nothing is on there except a few blogs and but i ended up tweeting out that blog and it got a lot of really good reaction but it basically explained everything i was feeling as i was standing on the sideline watching ou and georgia in the rose bowl you know why you know i was i felt like i'd gotten kicked in the gut when tony sony michelle ran past uh, where we were standing and into the end zone in overtime to win the football game and it kind of explains it all well. I'm sure people could go back and dig it up on, you know, on Twitter or whatever. But um, no, I mean that's probably what I'll be feeling uh, in in Atlanta watching LSU and OU too. So it's great, man. I get to enjoy it as a fan. I get to enjoy it as uh, you know covering a network um, and a conference that's the best in college football. So speaking of that, we know um, our guys Peter Burns, Chris Doring. They they had a Florida LSU bet. And it essentially resulted in Doring dressing up like Charlie Chaplin on yeah. SEC this morning. <laughs> um, awesome. He was the peanut guy. Was yeah. so good. So please, please tell me that yeah. you and PB have a very similar bet in play. No, we have no bet. Uh, no, <sighs> no, I'm not an idiot. I don't believe Oklahoma will win that football game. I am not dying to uh, to uh, make any bet with PB. <laughs> PB owes me. PB owes me five bucks from a bet we made in February. He still hasn't paid up. I'm not making a bet with that guy. Come on. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, PB. I love that's that, like awful. the beep, the beep, uh, beep, whatever out you were going to say. I'm assuming it was five bucks. But I mean, that was good. <laughs> was that was five, good, man. It's five bucks. Uh, so, I tell you what, it was, I mean, it was great because we were coaching this, uh, in the, uh, it was a special Olympics, um, slash, celebrity basketball game all-star weekend in charlotte he was one coach it was him and damian lillard were coaching one team and me and kyrie irving were coaching another team and uh and our team beat him by one yeah we had a five dollar bet on it so it's one of those things i show up to work the next day and he hands me a 20 i'm like dude i don't have 15 but like i don't have change for this just give me five when you have five (laughs) yeah i've never heard from him again Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, if you guys, if you're gonna be in Atlanta, we can get some bets going too. I mean, that'd be fun because we'll, we're gonna both be here as well, so we can't wait to see you guys. Okay. Um, my, my question for you is this: So, talk about obviously being an Oklahoma fan. Just describe the season that the Jalen Hurts has had and what it, what it's meant to Oklahoma fans, especially on the heels coming off of, of two highs and winners, Baker and uh, and Kyler Murray. How special has this season been yeah. for Jalen Hurts, even though he hasn't been there all four years? Well, I mean, every everybody. I think was thrilled when Jalen announced he was going to OU. Every OU fan obviously was. You know what you're getting in terms of a player, and you know what you're getting in terms of a person, a leader, a teammate, all that stuff. So that was great. Um, his performance, for the most part, has been incredible. I mean, he, you know, he was a Heisman finalist for a, week, a, a reason, a runner-up for a reason. I will also say this: he's not Baker, and he's not Kyler. He's very yep. good. He's a great runner, but I don't want the ball in his hands 
in in an in an urgent situation the way I would have wanted it in Baker's or Kyler's. Obviously, if there's an urgent situation, it will be in his hands, and that's great. But I just had a different. I think a lot of us had a different confidence about those two in those moments. I love Jalen. We all love Jalen, but we've also seen Jalen. Like, there's a reason I didn't have Jalen in my top three on my high school vote. Too many costly, careless turnovers, bad decisions with a football. Uh, losing, losing, setting it on the ground in, in a scramble, uh, losing it going into the end zone, just critical turnovers. And, and these aren't turnovers when you're up 35-7 that don't hurt you. These are critical turnovers that got them beat against Kansas State and almost against Iowa State and TCU and and Baylor the first time, you know, and it was they, – they're mistakes that can't be made. They can't be made in this game. He's going to have to play a clean football game. So while all season long, we all love Jalen Hurts. Who doesn't love Jalen Hurts? I, I do think that there have been times that it's he's almost, pardon the pun, hurt us. And, you know, he's a great quarterback. Anybody would love to have him. But um, it, it's not 100% positive here. Yeah. I think that's fair. On uh, on the other side of the ball, we know the, the basics of the Oklahoma suspensions with them losing their, their leader in sacks and, you know, I, I guess yeah. you know, offensively as well, change of pace running back. You obviously watch this team much closer than we do. Tell us how significant those suspensions are. Yeah, I mean, the Trajan Bridges one is not significant. They hit eight catches this year, and they're deep in mm-hmm. receiver. So that that's not one. But the other two are, are big. And we'll, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. JUCO transfer came in, came on later in the year, um, really once Trey Sermon went out. Trey Sermon, Georgia kid, would have been uh, would have would have loved to play in this game. Uh, he got hurt in November. Stevenson had gotten some carries before that, but really became the true number two back behind Kennedy Brooks and was great. Uh, good yards for average, good explosiveness, really good running back. I mean, this hurts now. You don't have Stevenson, you don't have Trey Sermon. It really is all on Kennedy Brooks and Jalen Hurts, obviously, who will contribute in the run game uh, significantly. Ronnie Perkins, to me, is the biggest loss. This is the one that really hurts. This guy, when you watch them play defense, you will see two guys that seem to be around the football every play, number nine and number seven. Number nine's Kenneth Murray. He's a stud, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year type of guy. And Ronnie Perkins is going to be in the backfield on virtually every play, and that's number seven. And that's the guy OU doesn't have. And that will be the most costly loss because behind him are guys that have played a little. But there's if, if Perkins is a 10 in production, everybody behind him is frankly a five or a six at best. And that's that's a problem. That's that's going to be felt in a big way. I think more than Stevenson and certainly more than Bridges. So switching gears a little bit, still staying in the Big 12, I know – before we had you on last time before the season, you said uh, keep an eye out for Iowa State. And I don't think anybody could have seen that yeah. Baylor would have had the year that Baylor was going to have. But you are a guy that knows a lot about the Big 12 and, and more familiar with them than a lot of SEC fans. Give us a team, like 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 talking about Baylor, I know there's a couple of matchups between the SEC and the Big 12. I think baylor Georgia is the, is the most marquee. What, what does Baylor have to do to upset Georgia in that Sugar Bowl? I, I think Baylor needs to... I think Baylor could beat Georgia. I, I absolutely think Baylor can beat Georgia. Uh, and and you know, let's th- this game is one of those that's all about motivation, right? Just like we saw Georgia fail in that department against Texas last year in the same exact game. Right. But but look, uh, Baylor is a team. I, this is f- a roster filled with guys that were one in eleven two years ago, and now they're in the Sugar Bowl. They would have never thought that was possible. Uh, you know, I'm from a motivation standpoint. I think you're going to see an edge that goes Baylor's way. Um, 
I don't want to see Georgia go there and lose again a second straight year right. to a Big 12 team. I would like to see Georgia win the game, but Baylor, Baylor is underrated, underappreciated on defense. Um, Baylor's going to be very difficult to run the football on. James Lynch on the defensive line is a freak, is a stud, and I haven't seen anything that would indicate that he's not going to play. But frankly, I haven't been looking that way, so I'm not sure. But I would anticipate that he would play. It's And they'll get pressure on Fromm. I mean, Georgia's going to have to be able to have success in the passing game. And if they can't, then I think Baylor wins the football game. I think that's uh, as much Big 12 talk as we've had all year. That was really good, Dari. That was, that You're was welcome. Some, some good yeah. breakdown type stuff. Um, I keep saying that these these LSU seasons, they, they just don't come around very often. And, I, you know, the fan base who was starving for this and was such a likable guy in, in Joe Burrow and one of the best personalities in the sport with Coach O, you've gotten an up-close look at a lot of these teams the last few years. How special is this year for LSU? Oh, it's 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 probably, well, you could argue the most special season that I've seen a team have in the time that we've had the SEC Network. I mean, this is season six of it because of all of the pieces in play, right? I mean, what Joe Burrow has meant to them, getting to watch him, guy that didn't play for three years and in Columbus come in and have the level of success. The 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 growth and development of Ed Ogeron as a head coach, I, I you know, being able to finally say, look, I don't need to have my hands in the cookie jar. I need to be the head coach and I don't need to be too involved and I'm going to let my coaches coach. And I think that was something that he learned with the Matt Canada debacle a couple of years ago. Hires Joe Brady. Now you've got Steve Ensminger who has to kind of at least share his seat with Joe Brady. The two have worked together well. Um, no, it's, it's just like this. And then the games that they've won, the way that they won in Texas, the way that uh, you know, they dominated other competition, breaking the streak against Alabama. There's just so you could write books on this season alone for them. Oh, by the way, there's a Heisman Trophy winner in play. Oh, by the way, they're in the playoff. I mean, this is no, this is this is just a script that's just incredible. And, and it's hard to imagine, frankly, that the book ends next Saturday in Atlanta. I, I think it I think it right. keeps going. And it's um, it's been it's been fun to get to watch up close. If it were like a Disney movie, I feel like you wouldn't. It wouldn't be believable. Mainly because Coach O would have said a lot of bad words, but still, it would not be believable. Um, so, like looking looking at this game, obviously the national championship is in is in New Orleans. If you're an Oklahoma fan, if you're an LSU fan, so you don't have to be. You could, you could be either here, Dari. Who do you want yeah. to play for the national championship between Ohio State and Clemson? And, and it could be not just who's a better matchup, or you know if, if it's it's like revenge or, or whatever. Who do you want to play uh, in in New Orleans? Neither. I mean, they're both so good. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, if I had to, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's almost like you. I just wish I had seen Clemson against a a better team this year than we've seen them against. Yep. But but yeah. my initial thought is I would probably rather see Ohio State. Um, and maybe part of it is because of Clemson's pedigree and Clemson's national, you know, the fact that they've been there and done it two of the last three years. And um, and Dabo has been there and done it. And, you know, Ryan Day hasn't. And, you know, but, I mean, that's all, you know, intangible junk. You know, I, I, from a football team, they're both just damn, damn, damn good. And, and Look, if it's Oklahoma that somehow gets by LSU, they're going to be a massive underdog against those teams. And if it's LSU, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a bit of an underdog against Clemson or Ohio State. I just think those two teams are both so good. 
So, Dari, do you have... I, I didn't want to try and guilt you into saying, like, oh, yeah, Oklahoma's going to do this, this, and this to win this game. You've kind of already said, you know, you yeah. won't even do the bet with PB, so I kind of know where you're leaning. But do you have a final score for the Peach Bowl? Yeah, I've not even really thought about it, but I'll uh, try to come up with one here. I, I think LSU wins. I like OU to cover. I don't think they're going to get blown out. Um you know, they'll give up some points. They'll score some. I would say something like 37-27, uh, LSU, like something in that range. Oh, so they cover. All right. Convenient. That's fine. That's yeah. totally fine. That makes sense. Um, so our guy Chizik, <laughs> as of right now, uh, he is still with your crew. He hasn't gotten back into coaching just yet. The coaching carousel hasn't yeah. necessarily stopped spinning. There's still NFL stuff that can happen. We asked Chizik when he came on a month ago, and we asked this to PB as well, what would Chiswick's staff look like if it consisted of us and SEC Network talent? And before you answer that, Whoa. it's worth mentioning, Chiswick had you slotted as a special assistant to the head coach. Gave you some pretty high praise, yeah. too. No, I, I would take that. I, I think I would take that um, that spot. I Actually, I probably wouldn't. I, I like what I do, but I'd be uh, happy to be offered <laughs> the job. Doring is, uh, without question, his offensive coordinator. Um you know, I don't know where he's got you guys. Uh, to be quite honest, how, how well, oh, you I'll guys tell you. might be good for. What's that? <laughs> I know, Connor. What were we? What did Chiz have us at? Chiz had us as kind of his spin team. Like we were going to be the media. We we're going to be kind of the media yeah. relations. We were going to spin. Oh, and, sure. and we we're yeah, going to throw yeah. out all the the stats. PB and, had me at the at the uh, assistant, like the mascot or something like that. Mascot relations. Yeah. Mascot yeah. relations. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I, I, you know, I'd be his special assistant. That would be great. Doring would call the offense. Problem with Doring is, you really got to give him curfews. Got to have him back in bed at a decent hour. <laughs> yes, really to everybody <laughs> says that. Everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the players will be doing door checks on on Doring. You know, room checks. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness that's gracious. good all right well uh <laughs> sorry that is that's fantastic <laughs> we'll um we'll get you out of here on two minute drill this has been great it's always good to catch up with you dory um so yeah. it's it's basically gonna be 10 rapid fire questions you give us the the best possible answer as fast as you can we'll see how you uh see how you compare with with the rest of your uh your teammates up there i love it let's go all right first question bucket list concert uh you know what it's 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 going to sound stupid and i got a chance to go this summer and i'm going to i love this poison motley crew Def leopard throw in joan jet this massive stadium tour that's coming out uh this summer so uh, i'm going to go with that right now because that's the one i'm trying to get my hands on tickets for and they're coming to charlotte Whoa. so that's going to be There's this summer big, and i can't wait big part of me thought you were going to say celine dion because she's coming too so but that's good that's still a good answer still a good answer uh what is the last thing that was playing through your headphones through my headphone, well, along the same lines, uh, Sirius XM, uh, Hair Nation, but they've got like a top hundred of Hair Nation. I think the last song I remember playing was uh, Rocky Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. I think that was the last thing I heard. Look at you, man. Did not see this coming. Okay. Um, I know that you're not going to be, you're not going to have a lot of downtime in the offseason. If you do, though, what's the first thing you're going to binge watch on Netflix? You know what we're watching now is the Americans. I would love to just get to sit and watch more of those at once. Um, also, underrated, funny show. Uh, somebody, I don't remember who, told me about this. We're kind of working through it as well. Uh, Canadian comedy 
called Working Moms. It's really, really, really funny. Probably women would like it more than men, but I kind of I dig those shows. So I'm just going to sit down and try to work my way through those a little bit more. I like that. Okay. Um, you're coming into Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. What is the go-to, what is your go-to Chick-fil-A order? Go-to Chick-fil-A order is the grilled chicken sandwich. Uh, swap out the fries for a salad, fat-free honey mustard dressing. I do want Chick-fil-A sauce, though, to dip the sandwich in. That's a good move. Fruit cup's not bad either. That's yeah. good. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Okay, uh, next question. Favorite Christmas song? Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, that Sorry. was probably it. I know it's it's not old school enough. Why? What do you got? That no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm double fist pumping right now in the air. That's my all time favorite. Christmas oh, you song. like that? He one. has said that. Oh, nice. That's my all time favorite. Let me tell you the one I hate. I the one I hate, and and I get a lot of crap for it because it's apparently you're not supposed to say you hate this. Is that Paul McCartney one? Um, okay. Yeah. Agree. You know having... what I'm talking about? Simply. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> oh God, that song. That song makes me want to slam my head into the windshield. It's awful. It's <laughs> <laughs> violent. Yeah, um, yeah, we talked about this yesterday with PB and Hester. Hester said it was uh, Blue Christmas, which was I, I had a hard time. I had a hard time with that one. That was not my favorite. Well, like a uh, okay, what's the best Christmas gift? Okay. <laughs> what's okay. the best Christmas gift uh, you've ever received? Holy cow, man! I don't know. I'm, I, I don't really get Christmas gifts that much. It's all for the kids. I don't even really remember anything that that jumped out to me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't even answer that, to be honest with you. Kyle, I usually just get a Christmas like, present. Yeah. Hey, sold. We'll you get know you what started. I want? Here's, we'll here's the Christmas gift I'm hoping appears uh, under my tree. Uh, tickets to Motley Crue, Poison, Death Leopard, Joan Jett. That's, that's mm. what I'm hoping. Okay. Okay. We can look into that. We can look into that. <laughs> um, okay, keep keep this Christmas thing rolling. Best Christmas movie. Christmas vacation. Okay, that's so very matter yeah. of fact. Christmas yeah. story. Okay, you're, you're, uh, still up there, but yeah. Okay, um, I know you travel a lot, so you're going through the airport. What is your go-to airport snack before a long flight? Uh, you know what? I'll go in and I'll always grab like a bag of like the sweet and sour. You know, so like the the nuts, but they've also got the M and M's and stuff in those. I like those. Um, a sh- any shake from anywhere, whether it's Chick Fil A or you name it, I'll go find a shake. For some reason, I always feel like I need some sort of an ice cream. Where it could be a shake, could be like a TCBY type place, something like that. Ooh, TCBY, that's a throwback. I like that. Okay, you got to buy one gift for your coworkers. Uh, PB, Chiz, and Doring. What are you getting them? Holy crap. I got to an answer for all of them. All right, PB, uh, I, I'm going to get him some sort of a desk organizer because that dude leaves his crap everywhere. So I'm going to give him that. Uh, Doring? Holy cow. Um, a shirt. I'm going to get Doring. <laughs> he doesn't wear them. It would get wasted. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, what the heck am I going to get Doring? Golly, I don't know. I don't know. I'll only come back to him. Chizik. Yeah, it's fine. Um, boy, this is two-minute warning, a two-minute drill. This is tough here. What do you <laughs> I, get? Like, I, I he doesn't need question. anything. We don't need anything. Um, That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, honestly, I, God, this one's tough. i got to think about this one, but I'm not going to take up your time doing it. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Uh, last it, but not listen, least. If something pops into my head, I'll let you know. Okay, what you got? Last but not least, the season's over. All right, so the football season's almost over. I need to change my Twitter handle probably from Vern Funquist to something else. What Twitter name do I need to have for 2020? I like the Vern Funquist one. Um, boy, oh boy, oh boy. How about this? War Eagle. Oh, man, Dari! You had so many points. You had so many points with the Bruce Springsteen, and then you throw that out there. Let's add these up, Connor. Oh man, he was he was on pace for a high score. And then you, you got, got a high score in my book, man. That's that's uh yeah. sixty nine points. Sorry, that's pretty good. Wow, that was, that was such good. a nice I like way to end random it. Way you score. I I wish I had something on the Doring and Chiswick gift, but I, I got I boy. I mean, what do you get the guys that literally have everything? I mean, there's nothing. That's fair. I could get them. Nothing. I couldn't get. There's nothing I could get them. I feel like Chizik could always use another purple tie, though. I mean, I feel like that's kind of his brand at this point. He's never going to not need purple ties, so you can just get him one, even though he already has several, and he'll, he'll get use out of it. <laughs> that dude, seriously, there's nobody that needs less than Gene Chizik on this earth. Nobody that needs less. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Dari, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I know you're busy this time of year. I know you've got uh, just a crazy week ahead. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to to catch up with you in Atlanta and look for uh, those Motley Crue tickets under your tree. Sound good, man? <laughs> Boys, it would all be great. Thank you, man. Good to talk to you guys. Awesome. That's talk good, soon. Appreciate Dari for coming on. Um, know that that... The, the Peach Bowl is going to be just a win-win scenario for him. Very, very lucky, yeah. blessed individual, the way that that works out. And I didn't even realize when I was asking the question, like, no, duh. Oklahoma just faces an SEC team and loses in the semifinal every single year. That just always happens. Probably yeah, agreed. Uh, I don't think they faced, like, those are some really good teams they played in the past, but not like this. Yeah, this is a this is a different kind of kind of juggernaut that Oklahoma is going to see. We've got a Christmas edition of Fourth and Wrong. Let's get to it. All right, so fourth and wrong. Um, yeah, like you said, Christmas edition. I think four of the five, we have five questions this week. Four of the five are about Christmas. We'll start with a non-Christmas question from Max Rundle. What's your favorite dad joke? Ooh, favorite dad joke is when uh, my wife will say, I'm tired, and I'll say, I'm Connor. Nice oh, to meet you. That is a, that's a staple, yeah. Yeah, that's that, that one um, is every time. I, I almost, I say it just, uh, it's, I can't even control it. It just comes out of my mouth, like, audibly. I, I can't stop myself from saying it. It's bad. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to, I mean, I, I love a good pun. I love a good pun. That's part of your much. job, though, is puns, is thinking of that yeah. constantly. So that's not as much dad joke. It's the fabric of my being. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, um, I love puns. On Also, I will say, and this is not just, like, from Stanley. I, this is, like, something that I don't. This sounds bad, but I think I was like most known for when I was at Houston's or just like in general. Is like when if somebody asks like, "Hey, have you seen this?" I'm like, "Oh, do do you um do you check uh, up your butt?" <laughs> and I don't I like I am 33. I've been saying that for like four straight years. Like almost like it's like a default answer, and I I, sh- I shouldn't, but I but I love it. And so like I mean, I'll even get I'll get texts from like like former coworkers, and they'll be like, "Hey, just want to say I hope you're doing well, and uh, if you're." Missing us, you haven't seen us in a while. Maybe you check up your butt. I'm like, this cannot be what I'm known for. <laughs> Lauren, so, yeah, up, well, up your butt jokes. So Lauren uh, made an up your butt joke uh, a few weeks ago, and I laughed, I think, for a solid 
20, 25 minutes afterwards. Yeah. It was so the, imagine the if she did it every day for four years. <laughs> Might get a little sick of it, but it was the fact that that she just it was something like a commercial and like, where are you gonna put this? Where are you gonna put this? And she was like, up your butt, and I died. I <laughs> fell over laughing and the timing was just perfect. Love good up your butt joke. Um good. All right, there we go. So next question. Is it okay? This is from Russell K. Dooley, who I'm pretty sure was the guy uh from Independence Day that flew the airplane into the uh, Ooh, spaceship. Yeah. Shout out to Russell. Uh, is it okay to drink at your Christmas family gathering if no one else is or nah? That's I'm going to let you go first. You're going to expect me to say no, but I'm going to say yes on this. And here's why. Now, I'm not saying that if nobody else is drinking, you need to start ripping shots. Probably not the best look. Probably not the best look. But no. what I am saying is that oftentimes at these holiday gatherings, everybody kind of surveys the room and says, what's everybody else doing? Yeah, you're going to start it. You could be thinking what everybody else is. All you got to do is be the first person. Now, if you have one and nobody else picks up one and then everybody's kind of looking around at you like, what are you doing? Different scenario. But never be afraid to be the first person to go to the fridge, grab a beer, grab grab your old-fashioned, whatever you got to do. Get the party started. Don't be yeah. the one that relies on others. It's like a middle school dance. Exactly. Same We're thing. We're just kind of sitting there uncomfortable. And it's like, oh, you're how, how are you, Kaylee? Haven't seen you since you were six. Second cousin that I don't know and don't really care to talk to you right now. I mean, yeah, like you probably probably start drinking early and often for that. Um, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm not. I wouldn't apologize for that. I, that's that's usually like my go-to. So yeah, definitely, definitely drink. I mean, don't do it in excess. Like yeah. if it, you, you never want to be way too ahead of everyone. Like it's okay to drink if no one else is drinking as long as it's not like you know excessive. Also, it's okay to drink if everyone else is drinking. But not don't just don't be the drunkest person at the party. Office Christmas party rules apply to family gathering Christmas parties as well. Everyone sleeps with Meredith. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Um, third question here, we have from Chris Milan. What's the best Christmas themed dessert? Gingerbread, we can agree, is overrated, right? Yeah. It's more yeah. show than taste. It's not that good. I mean, kids get to play with it. It's great. It, whatever. That's fine. My mom makes this stuff called... You want to build a house that'll get ants in the kitchen? Yeah, absolutely, kid. Leave me alone. My mom makes this stuff called mandel bread, which I crave... Monkey bread? No, she makes monkey bread as well. Monkey bread's really good, but different thing. We have monkey bread on Christmas morning. Usually this year, my wife is making her homemade cinnamon rolls, which are a Paula Deen recipe that is just unbelievably good. Nice. Um, Very excited for that, in case you can't tell. This mandel bread is like a mix between a piscotti and a thick but good white chocolate chip cookie. And it is just so good every time. And she puts it in the shape of a Christmas tree so it looks festive or whatever. It's not really that holiday themed. But the way that she kind of cuts the shape and the time of year that she makes it, always good. She'll also do the chocolate chip cookies that she'll dip in chocolate and peppermint with a little like chocolate frosting at the end of it. It is so, so good. My mom is uh, my mom knows her way around a dessert or two. So does my wife as well. They, they both just crush it with the desserts around Christmas. I can't believe you're fat shaming your family, but um, no, I'm kidding. I, uh, I think so I, everybody needs it. If there's ever a time of year, though, to be able to kind of cut loose with holiday desserts, I'm never, oh, ever yeah. going to fault anybody for doing that. So, like, that's, first off, I didn't know there was a white chocolate chip. I didn't know that was a thing. It's so technically actually not meat. chocolate. People forget that. Because it's not made okay. with cocoa. But that's a different story okay. for a different time. Um, so my mom is big on this. Uh, and actually, I am too, like baking it around the holidays. My One of my favorite things to do is I will bake sugar cookies. And then I'll like mm-hmm. design them, like, or I'll, I'll decorate them personally. Like We'll make like the, the icing from scratch and all that kind of stuff. And then I'll 
decorate them for my friends and make them like personalized. So like little football players, if they're Georgia fans, it'll be like in, you know, little Georgia G's oh, wow. and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I always like doing that. Allie's like, she loves baking around the holidays. I, I don't like wedding cookies that much. I love uh, candied pecans. Mm, okay. That's like a staple for me around Christmas. Um, for the most part, yeah, like gingerbread's overrated. Like I, I used to really enjoy like walking into a house that smells like cinnamon and then fireball just like ruined most of my last seven years. So I, I don't really like that kind of stuff anymore, but... Where do we stand? I think we've already talked about this, but just to just so we're clear, so we can have an official podcast stance on this, where do we stand on eggnog? I so I had eggnog for the first time on Saturday. Really? Okay. It, I just so and somebody asked one of the questions. It's what I woke up to today. First thing I saw on my phone was eggnog or uh, damn it, what is boiled custard? Oh. I I am a lot of things, but if you think I am ever putting something called boiled custard into my body. I mean, that that if we, if you're if you're drinking something called boiled custard, it, we got we got to talk. That what well, that that needs a rebranding in a hurry. Yeah, boiled exactly. custard. You can do better. You could do much much better than that. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a big eggnog guy. I, I'm not going to fault people who are. I'm not going to sit here and say it's trash. It just doesn't quite hit the palate in the same way that any other holiday drink it's heavy. does. It's just it's a lot. It's really dense. I'd rather have. I've brought up Kahlua before as well. I like an old fashioned mm-hmm. around the holidays. There's there's better than eggnog. There's always better. Yeah, agreed. Uh, my mom's big on mimosas on Christmas morning. Mm, same. There, there will certainly be video of that. Amen. Uh, okay. Fourth question here. What is your best and worst Christmas memory from your childhood from Chris Milan? Okay. Best. This isn't as. Much, I mean, I have a good, really good memory from my childhood of just opening basketball cards on Christmas morning. That was that was the staple. That was what all we did as kids. The 90s era in the Chicago suburbs with the Bulls. I, I've yeah. said before the reason I, the way I learned how to read was reading the backs of basketball cards and reading player stats oh. and stuff like that. Yeah, you should know names better then. Yeah, I should. I like I like I said though, I can rattle off stats about Pooh Richardson from 1994. Ku coach. Yeah, Tony Ku coach. Um, people forget he had the little turtle tattoo on his shoulder. Um, but yeah, that 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 was my best memory as as a child for sure. My best overall memory on Christmas though was uh, 2016. It was three and a half months after my dad had been diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we found out right before we found out right before Christmas that he was actually cancer free. My dad has since passed, but getting that news right before Christmas was just like I, I didn't care about it. I don't I couldn't tell you anything else about the rest yeah. of Christmas that year, but getting that was like the ultimate satisfaction for our family. Like just kind of puts everything in perspective. I still get goosebumps when you tell me that story. Like we, I think I, we somehow stumbled upon that. Like when we first started doing the show, like we didn't know each other that well, and it was still like that's such an incredible, incredible story. Um, so what, what was the worst though? Oh, the worst! I forgot about that. Uh, the worst. Um, I don't. I haven't had like bad Christmases to be honest. Like I, I honestly can't think of any off the top of my head that were that were bad per se. Because my parents have always just gone above and beyond when it comes to gift giving. Like too much to the point where we're, yeah. where we're unloading gifts i'm like even as a 14 year old yeah i feel bad i'm like mom you God didn't have to do it, this like, I, I went to to macy's and got you a sweater that you had been asking for and you got me yeah. all this stuff like i i'm i'm super fortunate in that regard i have not there's not a bad christmas that i can think of at least okay. since i've been able to process what christmas is yeah um so my best christmas memory i like I remember, like when I was like five or six, because we grew. Like, I've said it before, we were pretty poor growing up, and I all I wanted because Robin Hood came out that year with Kevin Costner. Mm. All I wanted was a Nerf bow and arrow, 
To this day, it's my favorite gift I've ever received. Nerf bow and arrow. It's all I wanted. And it was like, like my, my mom's like, yeah, I was, she's like, I, I just so you know, like it's sold out everywhere. Couldn't find it anywhere. It was like the hottest toy of the year. And she was like, you know, you, you might not get it. You might have to wait until after Christmas. I was like, oh, it's fine. I know Santa will bring it no matter what. Like, don't worry about it. And she was like, oh my God. So and I think it was like all I asked for. And like on Christmas Eve, she got a phone call from her, like our family friends that was like driving back from somewhere. And they were like Mississippi, stopped in to get like last minute gifts on their way back to Atlanta. They found it. And I'm pretty sure like price gouged my mom on it, but she still bought it. <laughs> so. The Dwight thing with Princess Unicorn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Princess Her horn pushes the sky. <laughs> um, so that was pretty good. The worst was kind of similar to what you're saying, like when you get like a bunch of gifts and feel bad. I remember 2013, like the bad year, I was featuring at a uh, for this like nationally touring comedian that weekend. So the first show was on the 26th. Sick brag. So I had to stay here by myself. And I'm pretty sure just drank the whole time. It was not, not great. But the worst, I remember when I was 10... Uh, again, we were poor growing up. This one Christmas, I'm opening up gifts, and it's like I got like a five disc like CD stereo. I got like every single thing that I had asked for. All these toys, like like a like remote control car, like everything, everything you could imagine, and then a TV for like for my. And I was ten, and I was like, what Jeez. What is happening? And I remember I was like, like why 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 am I getting all these right now? Like what happened? Because I knew something was up. My mom was like. Well, I'm having surgery next week, and just, you know, if I die, oh I just want to make sure you have... So, and I was like, what the heck? Like, take it all back. Like, I don't want Goodness. any of this crap. Like, and it was like a very routine surgery. It was like something like with like a deviated septum. But I was like, it was the best Christmas and then the worst Christmas immediately. Because it was like this, I don't, you know what? I'll take back the wood paneled Magda box. I don't need this. <laughs> um, all right, last question. Favorite line from Die Hard or... Favorite scene from any Christmas movie? Yeah, Yippie Kaye is the is the classic one. I haven't. Yeah. I need to watch Die Hard multiple times. Maybe maybe that's something that um, that can happen in the off season here because we're now because it's Christmas. That's a good point as well. I'm probably it's probably going to come on at least once or twice while while we're home. But I I haven't gotten to the point yet. Where I know like the classic quotes, but because I have only watched it through start to finish once. I can't quote it the way that everybody else can. So I don't want to boss yeah. an Alan Rickman line. I'm not at that point yet with Bruce Willis where I know, like, plop when he recites every single line in that episode of The Office. Right. Um, I'm not at that level, so I don't want to botch it. I'll, I'm going to defer to you, but I do think that the whole, like, where, when, he's on the bare, when, he's, when he's with his bare feet and, like, walking on glass the entire time, it, on, the, what, what was it, on what floor was it? When he's sneaking around... And then, like he he gets to the point where he's he's like literally like scaling the building on his bare feet. Yeah, that that to me is like the ultimate action scene. You can't really right. get much better than that. Like nothing nothing signifies. Like when I think Die Hard, that's my mind thinks of that image every time. Yeah, the, Die Hard Two had like the most stereotypical over the top like '90s action movie quotes of all time. Spoiler it was, alert! It was it was so it was it was it was funny, but it was it's still a good movie. But it was like almost like comical. Uh, welcome to the party, pal. That mm. always sticks out to me for some reason. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, the, the, so we watched it the other day, and I forgot how dark it got for a second. And he's like, "Hey, John, you still with me, man?" Like when when uh, Carl Winslow is like walking him through everything, and he's going, he's like, "Yeah, you know, uh, why, why aren't you why aren't you like on the streets? Why aren't you walking a beat?" And he's like, "I shot a kid." I was like, "Whoa, what is yeah. happening right now?" Like that wasn't necessary to throw in there, and they did for some reason, which was kind of odd. Um, 
Uh, I tell you what, for like just movies in general, one of my favorite scenes of any Christmas movie of all time, and I don't know if it's the line, is when <laughs> when Marv in the Home Alone Two uh, walks in. He's like, "I've reached the top," and he falls down. Harry, I've reached the top. <laughs> so he falls down. He stands up and cracks his back, and he goes, "Wow." What a hole! And <laughs> for whatever reason, I will just like cry laughing when I see that, even to this day. So, and the angry elf thing from Elf. Yes, that is that is also very good. We watched Home Alone two again on Friday night, of course, and the entire time, you know, I'm a. I think for the most part, when I watch movies, I'm I'm very low key. I don't talk through movies at all. Yeah. Home Alone two is a movie that I cannot sit still for the entire time. I'm like. I'm like on Kevin's side. I'm basically like Kevin. Like like Kevin is my team, and I am willing him to a victory. I'm like such a great decision by Kevin to be able to to put the planks down. Or oh, what a smart move to know that they were going to count to two when he's throwing the paint buckets down when they're trying to come up the yeah. stairs, and he's like, "That's three, that's four, and then that part comes up as well. When, right, when in it, right in the schnoz. Right in the schnoz. Home Alone two is just too many good scenes. Like the the part where Kevin walks out to the limo. And the cheese pizza, the steaming hot cheese pizza, and the Coke is just wait. The Coca Cola, I should say that. The Coca Cola is just waiting for him. That is the ultimate childhood fantasy, right there. Yeah, and the not, other Coke I think was later in his life. Yeah, well, yeah, different. Well, different story. <laughs> and I'm not big on like the whole like toy store thing, but yeah. if you were a kid who grew up in the '90s and that wasn't your perfectenschlag right there, I don't right. know what is. I will say, it is unequivocally hands down the single worst gift giving in american history maybe the world after this whole huge ordeal his his crappy family after leaving him again they get rewarded with a giant suite at the plaza his dad immediately complains about a a a room service bill after finding his son alive and it was only nine hundred dollars and then on top of that after all of that they let him go outside of by himself. Horrible parents. Walk to the Horrible. park to go hang out with a homeless woman. And then he re-gifts, re-gifts turtle doves that were given to him as a gift from someone else to a homeless lady. She's homeless. Your entire family is in the Plaza Hotel right now. And she's one of the reasons you're alive. And you're like, you know what? Here's a Christmas ornament for a tree you'll never own. Also, this has a very, very short shelf life. I had to explain to Lauren why Mr. Duncan donating all the toys to the McAllister family. She she at the time pointed out like, wait, weren't all those toys supposed to go to a hospital? And I said, yeah. yes, that is technically true, but Kevin just saved his entire business. And so that's a different kind of donation and a different kind of good that? faith thing. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit like uh, kind I mean, of gray turtle area. dove ornaments for a tree she didn't own. Like if, if he would have given her three-day-old fish... It would have been no, a better gift. No, it's a sentimental yes. gift. It's the same shelf life. If you get an ornament, hold on. This is this is a take that I will I will get fired up on. Don't be that a hole that gives somebody a Christmas ornament for a Christmas gift. It is the least like logical and sensible thing to give someone. It's like, oh, thank you so much. I can't wait next year, eleven and a half months from now, when I can use this again after I forget about it. So ornaments can have sentimental value, and I know we're, we're running long on this, but but whatever, this needs to be said. Lauren, it's and, important. Lauren and I get an ornament on like if we go on one trip a year. So this this past year we got an ornament at when we were at the Grand Canyon. When we were on right. a cruise a couple years ago, we got an ornament in, in San Juan. We get an ornament to kind of define our trip every single year. 
and it's kind of a nice thing to be able to look back on and have that yeah, ornament. Yeah, do you hang. give it to her on Christmas? I don't. We, we get it whenever we're on our trip. So, mm-hmm. But if, if there is some sort of sentimental attachment, because Christmas is the time of the feels, then that ornament can bring back certain feels. I'm not saying the turtle doves were the best gift. I'm just saying if you're opening a Christmas gift on Christmas morning and it is a Christmas ornament. Yeah, that's that's. It goes on yeah. something that is only relevant for the next okay. 11 hours. It's not efficient, like hot dogs, like hot dogs. They yeah. are not efficient. Well, we can't agree on that, but it's on the show. <laughs> you said yes, you said yes, that's fine. Uh, let's end with it might mean too much, uh, a topic that I, I'm sure you already, you already saw this if you've been on the internet the last couple of weeks. The LSU Christmas lights with the massive Coach O picture lit up. Just so, so perfect. This was originally tweeted out by at uh, SL Wayne. I think S L W E I N. This was in Houston. So there are a couple of things associated with this. We know that there are a lot of LSU fans in the state of Texas for sure. Tom Herman definitely flagged this house for 15 yards and an unsportsmanlike penalty, for sure, right? I mean, there's no way that Tom Herman didn't complain about this house. He was very, very upset. He sent somebody over there, a booster, to be like, you need to take this down right now or we're going to make sure that you just don't own this house anymore. Like, that's the type of thing you would Yeah, I mean, he also probably went by and, like, made fun of how, like, you know, trashy it looked, and then just went to, like, his duplex and was, like, talking about how much greater his duplex is in a four-bedroom, three-bath. I mean, he's, yeah, without a doubt. It felt like uh, Christmas just kind of gave this person an excuse to put up a, a big picture of Coach O in their front yard. That, so I love it. It didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> it, and it wasn't Christmas themed. It was just, and it wasn't even like a notable picture. It wasn't like one of those like like funny or like you know like viral moment pictures or even a great picture. It was just like hey, here's Coach O. I caught him at the grocery store line. And he like turned around, <laughs> took a picture of him real quick. But this is this is what makes the holiday season so great, and how fitting it is that there is an LSU Christmas house like this. In Texas and not just in Baton Rouge. I'm sure there are plenty of houses. I hope they leave it up year round. Yeah, they should. Oh, they absolutely should. That would be a great look. If you have, uh, oh, you can't join our, our College Bowl uh, our college bowl Mania group anymore. Oh, my God. We don't need to talk about the standings because as of right now when we're recording this on Monday, now things are subject to change. By the time that people listen to this, maybe you will not be close to last place. Who knows? Third to last place. That's pretty hard to do. There are people who haven't. 29th out of 132. And there are a lot of people who haven't, who didn't do points. Like they forgot to fill no, this out. No, that's the people that filled them out. Okay. There's, yeah, I didn't count those, but either way, it's really bad. That is uh, <laughs> it's really bad. That is a, a rough, rough look. Uh, best of luck to everybody um, and all their confidence pool. Uh, and all their confidence pool picks that they have. Going by by the way, real quick, I picked against the spread. I did it the whole thing wrong. I don't think it would have mattered either way. How, how is it's... this so hard for you to understand? I thought we were doing it against the spread and the confidence picks, not just like the winner. That's So I thought it was both. So I was like, oh, yeah. so I, I was right about UAB. And I had that for like 34 like, points. Win. I was like, there's no way they're going to lose by 17 and a half points. I, yeah, like money in the bank. And then it was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's, like when, it's like when Dwight goes to the silent auction. Yes, and he exactly. guesses on the prices. <laughs> Bam! All I had to do was look up the prices, idiots. Uh, next year we will get Marler to, to figure out the confidence pool for Bowl Mania. That much is for sure. Um, enjoy all the bowls. We're gonna have a lot of a lot of great content going up on, on SDS throughout this week. We're gonna be churning stuff out. Our news team, as I always say, crushes it. Marler's gonna have great stuff on social media. We are going to be in Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. Cannot wait for that on Saturday. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Are we gonna be doing Facebook Live on Saturday morning before you? I don't know. Because I think you're picking. 
picking me up from the airport, maybe potentially if you no, feel like it. No, absolutely Aww. not. You are taking. Aww. You are go taking Marta. We're meeting right at the stadium. Yeah. All right. Fine. We can do that. I'm gonna meet you at the stadium. Um, but yes, follow along for all of our great content. Follow us on Twitter at the STS Pod at Vern Funquist, which is only gonna be yeah. on for a few more weeks. At CJ O'Gara as well. Follow us on Instagram Saturday on South. Marler, Coach O, Matt Lou, whoever. You know, it's just gonna come from Marler. I hope all of you have a great great holiday uh and like i always say or i've said like once or twice tell the ones that you're close with you love them this holiday season and you'll have a great great holiday as well and i love y'all amen merry christmas to everyone boom